Space Podcast. Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESOAmazon. Or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Hi, this is Mark. Congratulations. You have found this amazingly awesome show. Chances are you're listening to it right now on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or some other mobile app that allows you to stream this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. And I can't stress how awesomely amazing this show really is. But did you know that you can also catch the latest episode of this show on the Tangibound Network? That's right. Go check out TangiboundNetwork.com. You can look them up and you can listen to it right there. It's even mobile friendly. What more could you ask for? Which means you can pull it up on your iPhone or your Android, even your Windows phone. Yeah, who has one of those? But still, point remains, you can do it. You can do it. Check it out. TangiboundNetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. Check it out. I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the GunnaGeek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On our latest episode, it's our fall gaming preview as Josh Peterson, Rob McCallum, and I break down the games to look forward to for the rest of the year. And what does Josh think of this season's Game of Thrones? All this plus another hit song from Hyperschmidt. And what do the hardcore gaming contingent want from Destiny 2? It's a loot chest full of podcasting treasures we have for you today as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back for the Pop Culture Cosmos. I should say, the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the show today. How is everyone out there? We just want to thank you again for, for stopping by our humble little podcast, our humble little show indeed. It wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos fall gaming preview without the man, the myth, the legend, one of the voices behind the Super BS Gamescast, and also as well, the guy that has his initials on the high score of Humanica Media, it's Josh Peterson. What's up, my friend? Not much, man. Just hanging out here in SoCal where Mother Nature seems to be going through menopause. <laughs> super hot, and then it's raining, then it's super hot again, then it's hot while it's raining. And so forgive me if you hear some fans in the background. I'm just like sweltering over here. Josh, what you got going down with that awesome channel known as Humanica Media? We have a new podcast called Inside Sports, and we, we've talked about it on here a little bit. We kind of rebranded it and started from episode one. So you can catch that now on podcast.com, and it'll be up on iTunes as soon as it goes through the review process. And then tomorrow there'll be a new Super BS up. And Wednesday you can hear a new part of 
episode four of Topic Apocalypse, as well as the uh, Tuesday show, Attack of the Humanikin, on Podcast Radio Network. Well, again, we, it's going to be a great show right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. First off, it's going to be our fall gaming preview because it's that time again. It's September, and my goodness, the video games that a lot of people all year long have been trying to hone in on and key in as the games to watch and the games that they're going to be saving up their money for this holiday season, they're finally starting to trickle out there. I guess kind of Madden kind of kicks it off, but that's still like an end of, end of summer type deal. August, you know, from eh, kind of back and forth on on how important that is to the video game industry, but September starts a big influx of games starting with destiny 2 and then there's a whole list of games coming out for the rest of the year but josh you and i want to focus on the games that we're looking forward to and that maybe we want to recommend to everybody out there that they need to take a closer look at as well so i'll start with you josh what are some of the video games that you're looking forward to this fall season well, I'm definitely looking forward to Assassin's Creed. The uh, the guys at Ubisoft kind of took some time off, which they needed to bring something new into the franchise. And the you know we saw the footage at E3, and it does it looks different. You still have that Assassin's Creed uh, aesthetic to it, but everything about this game looks a lot different from what they brought to the table before, especially with the new uh, dynamics and the the fighting mechanics, as far as like the fighting mechanics and the uh, the way you can steer your hawk around and just the the story as a whole. I, I'm hoping that this not only opens up a new chapter, but it also like shows us that the franchise is going somewhere. Because the series itself has had its issue with the latest iterations, I should say. And that's not to say the games haven't been fun. Like they scored well with reviewers, and you know, IGN and Polygon, Kotaku have all scored the games, you know, decent above seven. So, but it's just the fact that we're we're spending all this time on these games, and they they felt like they were getting lazy after a while. So a lot of the stuff that we did enjoy about previous entries, they didn't carry over to the new entries. And then, um, you know, all as far as like the story goes. It, felt like we were kind of just playing the game for the sake of playing it and not like having any uh, clear direction. They're just kind of pumping stuff out. And a lot of these games started to feel like DLC after a while. What else is outside of Assassin's Creed are, are you targeting in on? Because there's a number of great games. I'll actually throw one out there that actually comes on the same day. And it's October 27th, if I'm not mistaken, the same day Assassin's Creed is scheduled to come out. For me, I think that day will be special because Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus, will be coming out on the same day Assassin's Creed Origins is coming out, and also as well as Super Mario Odyssey. So that's going to be a great day for gamers as of right now. They're all scheduled to come out. Wolfenstein 2 continues the story of BJ Blazkowicz, and I'll tell you what, I was very surprised when I played through Wolfenstein on how good it was of a narrative uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yes, it's a linear first-person shooter, but you know it harkens back to those days where where it told a really good narrative while you were executing and going through the the motions and whatnot. It provided challenges along the way, and I thoroughly and thoroughly enjoyed it the first time around. I think it was a wonderful, wonderful recreation of the Wolfenstein franchise, and definitely with this Wolfenstein Two: The New Colossus. From what I've seen, the, the footage already, it just definitely looks like it's something that could really score again well with gamers. Wolfenstein, it's a fun world. 
it's a very uh, dystopian type universe that we're playing in, but it's a, it's just fun because you, you know, you're, you're walking through, you know, you, you have parts where you're walking through Nazi towns and like you, you see all this stuff. It's just, it's fun to think to yourself, like, you know, beyond the man in the high castle type stuff, but like you're to think like, you know, this, this is. This well, so what up scenario basically? Yeah, it's a very it's a very scary thought, but at the same time, it's a very novel like feeling to be in that universe. And, and even in the sense of you know the trailers and the and the footage coming up, they really have a great sense of detail in that what if scenario breaking down. To even like if television shows were made with the fascist interest, I should say, in the fascist takeover in that sense, how they would be constructed. Bethesda have taken a really good, strong look at how this was going to be comprised. And and definitely, I expect Wolfenstein 2 to tell even a better narrative within that Wolfenstein framework. Right. And they, they've been super clever about their marketing campaign with this. Like they have a very, Bethesda has a very impressive marketing uh, gig going on right now with the propaganda commercials and the, uh, you know, the, the, showing the uh the the setting and like the uh, you know the footage we saw at e3 with the guys sitting in the diner and stuff and like that was it was truly terrifying but at the same time it was so cool to look at so what else did you have in mind as far as games that you're looking forward to coming up in the next four months you know i'm looking forward to forza 7 there's not really a lot to say about that but because you know it is a forza game but I do, Forza is one of those games that I like to sit down and play and I don't have to think about anything. I don't really have to do anything. I just have to press the trigger and I have to pre- press the trigger, joystick, and brake. That's it. I can sit down and come home from work, kind of sit down, lay back, and uh, just play Forza. So that's that's one thing I'm looking forward to. But, you know, as far as October goes, I think that The Evil Within is actually my uh, my number one most anticipated game because that the I I true I don't know if you played the first one, but it was probably one of the scariest games I have ever played in my life, and it's you know that that's saying a lot because I spent a lot of hours in Dead Space, and while it's not the same type of scary, it's still uh, you know something about it, man. It's like when you are when you're scared, like when things are popping out at you, it takes you have to like process what you're thinking as far as like I need to go this way. I need to shoot this. I need to conserve ammo. Like it's, it's so hard not to just freak out and just fire your gun everywhere. So it's a, it's a very interesting game. It's got a very good story to go along with it. That's definitely a great way to say it. Now with Forza, do you think there's a little bit of an impetus by Microsoft to really try and provide a higher bar for the series because you know there may be a little bit of stagnation with so many iterations over so many years and with Gran Turismo both you and I saw Gran Turismo and we were actually with the footage we've got which you want to check out the Humanica Media YouTube page and check out the E3 2017 diaries that Josh posted that have footage of a lot of these games indeed. And Gran Turismo, I don't know, it's beginning all over the place as far as people's thoughts on it, but I think it looks pretty good. What were your thoughts as far as maybe giving a little bit of a boost to Forza becoming an even better racing game? I know we've, we've talked about this before, the, the fact that Gran Turismo might be good. Like the game looks beautiful, it looks fun. It seems to have taken on that, that old persona of the original to Gran Turismo games back on the PlayStation 1 that kind of, uh, you know, pulled you into the whole idea of a racing simulator. 
but they, they kind of over the years they kind of got stagnant and they you know Grand Turismo 3 was pretty bad and I think it was four that had or it was either four or five that had the uh, half of the game was actually coaching drivers instead of actually instead of racing and that was not you know that was when I felt like the franchise kind of kind of went downhill a little bit the um, you know as far as competing with Forza goes like yeah maybe it'll outdo the new Forza but at the same time you have to remember Forza is an annual game. And it's always a game that Microsoft uses to show off, whether it's like upgraded graphics or, uh, you know, obviously with the new the Xbox One X. And it's, it's all it's a show game more than anything, but it, it's an annual thing. So I don't think Gran Turismo really like they they might knock it off its pedestal for a bit, but come next year, people are going to forget all about Gran Turismo unless they give some sort of consistency in their franchise. I don't blame you, but what I will say in response to that is that the audience which could potentially benefit from this is much larger on the PlayStation 4 than what the Xbox One is offering with 4s at this point. So fans of PlayStation 4 need a good racing game to come out because the level of entrance so far has not been up to speed. Sorry, EA, wasn't a pun on you, but I know Need to Speed's coming out this year as well, but that's beside the point. So I'm still waiting for a really good racing game to come out on the PlayStation 4, and I'm hoping Gran Turismo fits the bill. Well, while we're speaking about Xboxes, they're also coming out with some really interesting titles that maybe people are kind of overlooking that, that maybe we need to focus on in regards to Cuphead. What are your thoughts on Cuphead? I think Cuphead looks fun. That one got announced at E3, what, two years ago? So it's it's kind of been a, a long time in the making, and it, it looks it looks fun as far as a uh, you know that kind of platformer goes. So your thoughts on Cuphead is just that it looks like a really solid game. It's taken a while for a game of this, I should say, magnitude because it's not a full fledged, full priced, full tilt fifty nine ninety nine right. game. I know it was a smaller game that's been made out to be something more. Uh, Microsoft has asked it to be a little bit broader, more expansive game, but it still may be thought of as far as not a full-fledged AAA game, correct? Right. Well, it started out as an indie game. Like, it was from an... I forget who the developers were, but they were a very small studio, technically considered indie developers. And, uh, the you know, the word behind the game, you know, it got out and reviewers started talking about it, podcasters started talking about it, and all of a sudden there's this big flood of people who want to play it so i think that's what originally caught microsoft's eye and that's the great thing about microsoft is it kind of unlike uh sony and up until recent you know N nintendo kind of made the, the mistake of uh oversaturating their market with uh indie games in the past but xbox has always been really good at putting their support behind games that they truly believe will be good you know do well with audiences and i hope that this game is worth the wait and uh it looks fun i'm willing to give it a try but i'm more willing to hear uh what people think of it first before i go out and spend the money on it because there's going to be a ton of other games i'd probably rather play up until that point now we've broken down a lot of games so far and i know there's still quite a few more to go and you know, obviously, Star Wars Battlefront 2, that's something we definitely have taken a look at before, something being very good. And with the space battles new and approved, actually uh, uh, emanating is something I'm definitely looking forward to as well. But what about a game like Middle Earth Shadow of War? It's actually a sequel to one of the best video games of that year it came out. 
So I ask you, what are your thoughts on Middle Earth Shadow of War? Because I, I'm really excited to see that game coming out very soon. It's still, it's a fascinating world. And I like the new dynamic of you building an army, but I just hope that that doesn't take away. Because a lot of what made the other game good was that you could kind of walk around. You didn't have to rely on anybody to do anything. You just kind of walk around and do your thing. And granted, the uh, Nemesis system got frustrating at times, but uh, it was still a, a very, very fun game. So I'm hoping that this one, they don't put so much emphasis on building an army that you have to literally play for hours to gather up all these troops before you can move on with the story. But yeah, I'm very intrigued by it. Any last games that you think should be noted on the way out as far as a game to watch or games to watch this upcoming fall season? Yeah, we got some some good stuff coming in on the Switch. We have the uh, Super Mario Odyssey, which is obviously looks looks pretty fun. Um, I haven't picked up Rabbids yet. I, I probably will sometime this week. Skyrim's finally making its way to Switch, so it'll be interesting to see how they handle the graphic downgrade to make it compatible with Switch, but still, it, it, it looks okay. It looks, looks pretty solid, and I'm just excited to have games to play on the Switch because I played bought that thing, and I haven't played it since Zelda. Yeah, I mean, it seems like October is the heaviest month as far as good games go, but Star Wars Battlefront's coming out, so I'm pretty excited about that. Another game I want to talk about, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. You know, obviously, we've had a lot of success with Injustice Gods Among Us 2, and that's done a great job as far as presentation, look, and obviously the fighting game world has has taken it uh, and fully embraced it as far as a real quality game. Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, we're going to wait and see. It's been a long time, so definitely it's a welcome back to the new fighting game scene. So I'm hoping that Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite will actually prove to be something that's definitely along the lines of those great fighting games, like I said, with Injustice 2 and also as well. Last year, Street Fighter V, after it got all the bugs and after it got all the additions worked out, Street Fighter V actually developed into a great fighting game in its own right. So it remains to be seen, but I'm very hopeful that Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite will actually fit the bill for fighting fans as well. And then one last one, how could we forget, but finally coming out as well is South Park, the Fractured Butthole. That's coming out in mid-October. Kind of in the same vein as Mario Rabbits as far as the, uh, you know, that tactical type gameplay goes. Exactly. So yeah, last, as of right now, it's, it's still coming out October 17th. So Definitely a lot of RPG fans are looking forward to and a lot of South Park fans, obviously, as well, because the first one did so well with audiences. What are your thoughts out there on the games that are coming out this fall season? You know, there's going to be a lot of great games coming out this fall. I know there's a lot of titles that people were looking forward to that maybe have been pushed back to 2018, but there's still a bevy of games to play in September, October, November, and December that are coming out. So what are your thoughts on what the best ones are going to be for the Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Humanica Media, Game Source, and Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, like I said, it's going to be a great show today. We've also got Rob McCallum weighing in with his thoughts, and I'm going to be talking with him here right after the break, what games he's looking forward to this fall season. And then for the hardcore gaming contingent, 
with Destiny 2 coming out this week. You've got a great group of guys that has been so much a part of Destiny. They're, they're stopping by. All six of them are going to be stopping by to talk about Destiny 2 and what their hopes are for the game for the hardcore contingent. And Josh will let us know exactly his thoughts on the Game of Thrones as well. This this latest season with only one more season to go. It's going to be a great program indeed. But first, we've got a great song from our good friend Chad and Hyperschmidt. And this is I Can Tell. And this is the Pop Culture Cosmos. I can tell you're not the same They'll find you if you stay Will you hold back Or will you give yourself away The day you came home So sure I lost you The way you're walking right at me That thing that haunts you It's not on your back you decide that you were free I don't know what you say You got to give it up to live this way Take you away. Was it all for nothing? No. 
Was it all for nothing? No. I can tell heart is truly changed. Oh, in a second breath, I say your name and I see the light behind your eyes again. I can see your heart is truly changed. Oh, in a second breath, I say your name and I see the light behind your eyes again. I can tell you. Listening to the pop culture cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films in 2017. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. In our series, Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Box Art arrives this year, just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. And we're back with the show. This is Gerald Glassford from <clears throat> Pop culture cosmos Aww. we thank you very it's, much for listening truly appreciate it's already it. begun yes it has indeed and i'll tell you what he's back again it's the man the myth the legend of rob mccallum films and also now a part of the tiny titan studios team it's rob mccallum how are you my friend i'm doing good how are you good good but we cannot be remiss without talking a little bit about some video games as well. And I'll tell you what, I know you've said you've done your little bit of your homework there in regards for once. to for once, for once indeed, as the man you know who directed well, one of the great video game movies that's out there, Nintendo Quest. Uh, well, first off, I know you got the chance to see the new Star Wars Battlefront 2 coming very soon to obviously consoles and PC everywhere when it comes to uh, all that great stuff that it, that it had before, but now it's going to be implemented in there in regards to a storyline. And what are your thoughts on Star Wars Battlefront 2? How is it shaping up in your opinion? Well, the trailer that, that caught me the most was the Space Battle trailer. It looks absolutely gorgeous. And, and my girlfriend saw me watching it on my phone. She goes, is that a movie? Is that the new Star Wars movie? And I said, no, that's the new PlayStation 4 game. She's like, that's ridiculous. That That's just ridiculous. And, you know, we had talked before about the love for Star Wars space battles, and you pointed to the uh, Disney Infinity stuff with Star Wars, saying that that was, at the time, the best version of, of flying combat and Star Wars, and what's prompted this discussion was the lack of that in Battlefront 1, or, like, the very, like, limited scope of using vehicular devices in it, and I just remember saying, why can't I get an updated version of Rogue Squadron? You know, why can't I get back to that? No sooner said and thought in my head comes this new trailer of Battlefront, where it's this glorious space combat. 
it, it got me excited in ways that I haven't felt since the GameCube launch. I remember getting GameCube day one, you know, Rogue Leader was on there, Rogue Squadron, Rogue Leader. It was just an, a, a fantastic experience. I feel like this is going to be the same. Where this will fall down is if we get into the same trappings of here's the Death Star Trench Run. Here's you and the Snow Speeders on Hoth roping the walkers. Here's this. With so many Star Wars films coming out and so many more that have been added since Rogue Squadron, at least I feel like we can explore other space battles. And that's what they're doing with, if you watch the video, that it comes at you from three different parts of the Star Wars era, correct? Yes, I believe so. That's correct. Yeah. So as long as they can keep coming new, keep spinning off stuff, especially with like a film like Rogue One. Like, there could be so much that they could feed off that happens before the movie or after the movie or in another part of the galaxy. Like, for, for a film that's all about a whole galaxy far, far away, we're often tucked in the same corner for the entire storyline. So maybe spread the wings a little bit, which is what Disney's trying to do with all these spinoff movies, these standalone, you know, non-saga pieces. So um, I, just, I just hope that we can get, you know, a really cool storyline. Uh, that you can pilot around in and not be stuck to the same trappings of the more famous space battles that we know and have played to death a million times <laughs> in the Star Wars universe. Also another game that I wish had space battles, which I'm not sure is still going to, which I don't think it is, is Destiny 2. And I, I got a chance to play the beta. It really caters to a certain niche audience that it has and really holds on to it and provides a little bit better flow and what the combat from what I'm seeing. But what are your thoughts on Destiny 2? Because I may be way off base as far as from my end, but I know if we went after talking with Josh about it, he feels the same way as well, that maybe a wider universe needs to be added within the concept of the game. Well, I remember when Destiny first launched, and it was supposed to be this massive thing that cost $200 million and was supposed to be the new Halo MMO game that was going to be the staple. It was going to be World of Warcraft for consoles, but with that first-person kind of perspective draw that makes console multiplayer so, you know, uh, desirable. I don't think it hit there, and I think their expansions fell flat, and I think it really, like, divided their their fan base. And for what you got, for what you paid for, it just wasn't enough. The value wasn't there. And to have basically stuff that was locked but built within the builds felt really cheap to players who wanted more of an experience. And it really and, catered to those who just wanted to do raids. It just seemed like that that's all the audience it was trying to cater itself to. It was very much an end game loopable system, which is something I know about a lot more now as a, as a free-to-play mobile uh, you know, creative kind of guy now making games. So I understand why they're like, here's the... 20% story to get everybody up to the part where the game really begins, which are these raids, these multiplayer experiences where you have the guilds and you do stuff together because that's World of Warcraft as well, right? You do the instances, you join the groups, you go out and you battle. That was their thinking. What they didn't anticipate for was the volume of backlash with the cut down non-existent one player story mode. Battlefront is no stranger to this too, right? And same with Titanfall. Where's the one player game? Where's the one player game? Don't give me a multiplayer game on console when I just want to necessarily sit and play by myself. That's where Destiny really was the final kind of nail in the coffin. If they weren't alienating people from the content that they were offering for this big push that was touted as, as the next big thing, the lack of a one-player, single-player kind of experience really did them in. Then, I think the other nail in the coffin is Destiny 2 
doesn't carry over anything from Destiny 1, despite all the hours that you've put into it. This isn't, yeah, that, that's a, not a good sign. This isn't World of Warcraft where we, you know, unleash, uh, you know, Mists of Pandaria and you, everything continues, but it's a massive new kind of place to explore, a huge island in the middle of, of the world. This is like a complete hard reset that doesn't seem to have changed too much, except for maybe a little deepening on the story. Maybe the code's a little fresher behind the scenes. Maybe it's a little neater. Maybe it plays a little bit more efficiently. But is it that much different of a game to sacrifice those hundreds and hundreds of hours that people put in there to have a hard reset on that? I don't know. I don't think it is. Um, I think that was the final straw for a lot of people. So now it is super niche, like you said, very niche, as we say in Canada. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it does, if it is like one of those big games of the year by sales or not. I'll be talking to Plasma Z and, and some of his other friends that are a part of a Destiny group here, and we'll talk more about that as well. So that's going to be some interesting talk on Destiny 2. Rama McCallum, creative director of Tiny Rails, now available from Tiny Titan Studios and also available on not only on a mobile platform, but early access on Steam as well. Rob, it's been a great pleasure talking to you right here on the Pop Culture Cosmo. A year later, it still has not ended. That's silly. A year later, it's still irritating to you. It is. The Pop Culture Cosmos. <laughs> I'm sorry. What can I say? What can I say? It's just truly great to have you on the show. It hurts my brain to think about doing that impression. Again, that's Rob McCallum of Rob McCallum Films, also the creative director of Tiny Rails. You can get it now on Steam and also available on mobile platforms. Rob, as always, it's been a great pleasure, my friend. Thank you, sir. Look forward to the next time. Thank you for being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmos show and the PCC Multiverse. I would say Rogue One has a more worn feel. And I love it for that because it looks a lot like New Hope where everything isn't shiny and plastic like the Star Trek films. We always talk about timelines and the franchises that we love. And now it's kind of like, okay, now we're going to do a Han story. Now we're going to do Obi-Wan story. People do still like to go into movies and watch things that are different, watch things that are not related to superhero franchises. With him, you might get the Russell West. Kevin Durant leaves and he goes, I'm not going anywhere, this is my team, I'm lead up it for the long haul. If you're into like very strategic style games and the co-op games in general, it's a highly recommended game overall. And it's a sense of depth and personality that would escalate fighting games to a higher degree. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse, every week on the Podcast Radio Network and Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. And we're back with the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. You cannot really say enough about the games this fall without talking about one of the big releases of the fall. And it's coming out actually this week. It's Destiny 2. And here to talk Destiny 2 are a lot of guys that are really excited for the game they were a major part as far as contributing with their clan in the original Destiny, their clan in Time We Come, and check out all the, the various platforms as far as their streaming options that they, that they have as far as anytime you get a chance. And I know they're going to tell you guys exactly where they are located at during the part of our interview. But I'm going to have right now for you 
Well, he's he's very familiar to the show. It is starting off with Plasma Z with Elijah Harrison. We've also got Tristan Marengo, Vince Orlando, Sam Hardison, Justin Guevara, Alex Stavros. Hey, guys, we just truly appreciate you being part of the program here today. Destiny 2, again, like I said, comes out this week. I, I know a lot of people are excited for it. And I in the past, Josh Peterson and I have talked about how well, how how it relates as far as general consumers and, and general gamers feel about the Destiny 2 and actually the Destiny series as a whole. But Destiny's backbone is the hardcore players and the guilds and all the clans to make Destiny what it has become as far as a game to look out for with all the raids and all the great excitement that it provides. Let's start with Vince. Vince, I want to talk to you first about what is it you're most excited for? Uh, I think I'm most excited for just being able to do something new again. Uh, Destiny gets super stale, super stale, super fast, and uh, Rise of Iron was a good way to mix it up a little bit, but even after maybe a month, you're still doing the same thing over and over again. So with a fresh game, I'm just hoping that I can get uh, some good longevity out of it. Hopefully by the time the first DLC comes out that I won't have felt like, I won't be like steamed out of Destiny. Like I want continuous content. Well, that's definitely understandable because, you know, that, that can happen with a lot of games where after the first couple of months and first couple of issues of DLC, it really gets stale really quickly. Sam, do you concur with that? Or is there something else you're particularly looking for when it comes to the release of Destiny 2? I very much agree with what Vince said. The game, even though I play it probably way more hours than I care to admit, what I'm most excited for is the exotics. I can't tell you how excited I'd get every time I'd see an exotic drop. Even if it was one I didn't want, I would just, it's like a kid opening a gift on Christmas. It's like, oh, something new, something new I can play with. All the new things that I could do with the new weapons and gear. Well, I don't blame you because loot drops have now become an integral part of many games in this generation, in this cycle of gaming. Elijah Harrison, who, by the way, if, if you haven't got a chance to listen to his great music on our PCC Multiverse show every Friday, you got to check it out. Plus also as well, his stuff on SoundCloud. I tell you what, Elijah, you have been really looking forward to this game, but what is it about the Destiny series that really pulls you back in time and time again as a hardcore Destiny player? I think game modes like Prison of Elders, Court of Oryx, I mean, just there's, there's so many different variations of game modes in, in Destiny that, you know, yeah, what Vince was saying, things can get stale at times, but there's always something to do. I mean, luckily for all of us, we, we've we done all of it. You know, we've done pretty much all there is to do in Destiny, and that's why it got stale for us. But, I mean, even now, I, mean, I was talking to the guys earlier today, and I was like, you know, I'm down to go in and beat Crota one last time, you know, before Destiny 2 comes out. Or go back and, and do SIVA Crisis Heroic Strikes and see what last bit of, of loot I can scrounge together before Destiny 2 drops. There's just, there was so much to do overall that it was it was just an amazing experience. I'm very happy for you in that sense because like I said, to the hardcore, it seems something that really, really, that resonated with the hardcore audience that made them go back time and time again with raid after raid that they really truly appreciated. So it's great to hear all you guys' feedback on what you're looking for with this new game. Tristan, I know there's been a lot of new features, Tristan, that you know are, are going to get players such as yourself excited for the game. 
and you talked before we went on the air about the kind of money you spent previously on yeah. Destiny. <laughs> yep, definitely. So what is it exactly you're looking forward to most when it comes to Destiny 2? What features have piqued your interest and will hopefully have you actually buying the game outright as opposed to visiting that red box one too many times? <laughs> well, the one thing that I can definitely say that I'm really looking forward to is the dodge ability on all the characters. Because Destiny 1, I mained a hunter, and that was my only character. But I love that, that uh, shade step when they put in that new subclass. That's the only thing I ever used. So it's nice to see that there's a dodge ability on multiple classes. And since our group, our clan, is mainly hunters, I can actually play a titan and still get that hunter dodge or that dodge now. So okay. I'm really looking forward to being able to play multiple characters. Oh, that's awesome. And, and do you like as far as the, the way that you're now going to be able to shift pretty much on the fly as opposed to one fixated character, correct? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, that's awesome indeed. Like I said, it's becoming a little bit more variant. Uh, you know, I know it got out to the gate really a little bit, a little bit slow out to the gate. I know there was a lot of feedback. In fact, I spent some hours initially with the game and it was just really hard for me to get into. But then again, like I said, it garnered such a, a nice hardcore audience that it really seemed to connect and resonate with them as far as the continuous quests and the continuous you know raids that destiny provided plus also the pvp area and and the uh, the crucible and all that just really just seemed to resonate with those audiences uh, i want to ask justin justin i know you've heard a little bit more about you know the the space venturing part of it as far as enhancing that part just a little bit as far as the exploration part i'm still hoping for more someday in the destiny world in regards to space battles but in regards to being able to to broaden the horizons of destiny to how much are you looking forward to be able to explore more of the destiny universe i'm so happy that they've expanded the patrol worlds like they're so much bigger i know that um from previous like from destiny one i know the patrols weren't as big but i know that from going on to destiny two like even playing the beta like we would hop into venus on that strike and i'd be like oh i'm gonna explore but like we didn't have sparrows and anything in the second uh destiny 2 beta but it was it took a while to just to walk around in that patrol area from what we had but honestly like i just want to find all like the little easter eggs and nooks and crannies i want to find like for instance like if they even add a new loot cave that'd be so cool just like throw back to the year one destiny players I remember that one. That one was uh, everybody's going wild in, in as far as the, the even casual players alike were looking oh, for yeah. that loot cave. I remember just sitting there with my Mida Multi tool, just sitting there, just shooting headshots all day, just hoping, just hoping for like legendary drops or something. <laughs> oh, that's like total reminiscing. Honestly, I I hope they add like for Destiny, they added the new patrol. I hope that in like future DLCs, they'll add like more planets, like mercury like you can actually like explore like the lighthouse and stuff but just not like a oh you have to get the nine wins and oh you get to go and just open a chest and that's it but i hope like you can actually go in different planets different areas like totally just off the wall or even just like you being able to actually control your ship while like even flying to a destination and maybe shooting things with your ship and doing integrating your ship into something because in the first one, it was just a cosmetic item for showing off. And like, 
I, I know a lot of my friends wanted to actually do something with it other than having it a cosmetic item. Hoping that this will also make it more interesting to not only just a, a hardcore base, but also a general audience as well. Alex, uh, I want to ask you, when it comes to the story, I know this has been a touchy point with a lot of Destiny players. The, the people that are hardcore into it, that are really seriously into Destiny, have been able to look certain things aside when it comes to the story and been able to go ahead and focus on the strikes and the raids whereas people that were not able to really get into it cited the story as the main reason why they couldn't get into Destiny the first time around. You've seen what is coming up as far as the, the new uh, story elements in Destiny 2. I want to ask you, Alex, are you excited about the new possibilities when it comes to following a, a narrative and a story within the Destiny 2 guidelines and storylines that they're about ready to, to come out with. Yeah, I felt like in Destiny 1, at least for me, there wasn't really a much of a backstory for the characters. And I just, I think that having more of a backstory would really make it feel more memorable and you could connect better and get on a better basis, like with your character and make the game more fun and enjoyable, like just overall. It kind of just felt like when you were doing it, you were just going out and playing and they you weren't really following the story. You're kind of just reacting to whatever happened. I like having more of a, like a backstory that way. It just feels like the characters matter more. Was it a big benefit when Nolan North took over the actual voice acting and when they redid the storyline and reshaped it and, and played with it and, and added Nolan North's voice instead as the as the voice uh, you know guiding you through this narrative? Was that helpful at all? Was that a big, big plus as far as the, the entire story it made it for you as well? Yeah, I'd say that it wasn't just helpful. Like It, it made the game comical. It made it funny and fun to play as well. That absolutely, and we weren't talking about anything relating to the moon this time. With us, <laughs> but unfortunately, Peter Dinklage's uh, um, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. well, I, I tell you what, it's it's some great times indeed. Hopefully, with Destiny Two, Tristan, I want to ask you um, when it comes to the PvP side, is that something that you're looking forward to? Some great enhancements there, uh, as far as from a from a PvP perspective, is is the Crucible something that that you think will be even more enhanced this time around? So the PvP perspective is a little interesting for me because uh, like us as a clan, we usually are on about six people at a time because we have a larger group and it's only four person teams. So it'll be a little interesting. And we're thinking like, what if like we have eight people on and we each four and four and then you know, what if we pair up together and we 4v4 scrimmish each other? That would be super interesting because it's like, it's a possibility since we have such a large group of people. Um, but the PvP aspect is really looking to change, especially with the added Titan shields and everything else like that and the dodges and everything. That just makes everything so much more different because now you can actually drop a shield and sit there instead of having to run and hide behind a corner and get chased down or and so forth. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I know because that could be a pain. Unfortunately, if something like that happens, no, I don't. I don't blame you a bit. Uh, before I get to Sam, I know, I, I know Vince wanted to interject also his opinion on the PvP as well. So, so I ask you, Vince, when it comes to the Crucible and that environment, what aspects of it are you looking forward to the most when it comes to Destiny Two? So, 
the, the main thing that I'm really happy about about Destiny 2 is that they push towards more of an esports vibe, uh, 4v4 combat, and it's more strategic rather than just uh, super and grenade spam. Something that I'm hoping they'll do eventually down the line is go to more of a, I almost want to say, individual player basis, uh, like, not necessarily a leveling system, but like a ranking system. Because, like, in year one, you can go to trials and get your 9-0 card, and then that's it. That was the main competitive point of Destiny 1, which was fun for a little while until you did it for your 5th, 6th, 7th, 25th time every weekend. I mean, it's pushing more of like an Overwatch vibe, but I would like something to where people are individually, I guess you can say, individually ranked, so that like, let's say, at the end of a season, I think the seasons would be perfect for Countdown, which is also competitive, so that like, let's say you play for three weeks and you get to, like, let's say, a master rank in comparison to Overwatch, and then at the end of the season, you get rewards or like, a gear set that you can that can show off. Oh, I was this high this season. Similar to World of Warcraft, and I played a lot of World of Warcraft, which is why these type of games make, games mean a lot to me. Uh, so, like when I played World of Warcraft, at the end of a season, I would be really happy when I was able to get the the victorious gladiator set, which is a set that you can get for being the max max rank or uh, a top tier player. Well, wow. so I would love to see something like that added to the multiplayer for Destiny 2 because I feel like it would work perfectly. Something that's not too overpowered, but just cosmetically shows that you're you're doing something that makes you feel unique compared to every other player. I understand that, absolutely, because I know that's, that's something that a lot of players also have hinted at with Destiny 2 as well. So, And I can see, you know, you're exactly correct. I can see that Blizzard influence there as far as with, you know, from the Blizzard Activision standpoint, I know that the marriage started to materialize more when it came to the promotion of, of Destiny and that it wasn't just going to be just a straight up Activision, you know, release that Blizzard had a little bit of influence and say in exactly how Destiny was going to be, be running to and, and be, being portrayed to an audience. So I know that's one of the keys is why that the the guilds and clans that that made up so much of the devotion to destiny originally uh came to be sam i I know you wanted to talk a little bit more about the story and i'll tell you what the story hopefully will be shaping up i've seen from the trailers that it looks to be shaping up a lot better than the original and and so what are some of the aspects of the story that you're looking forward to most in destiny 2. i'm very interested to see what new lore they add i'm a lore junkie. I'll ask these guys. I actually had just for me hunting the dead ghosts in Destiny One. I had one of the higher grimoire scores for a while. <laughs> um, I learned everything I could. I'd go on the third medium site to hunt down the grimoire that I couldn't find. Like there were dedicated raids that we just didn't take our time to find. So I'd go to the Ishtar Collective, which has every single grimoire card archived in it, and I'd go there just to read what I couldn't find myself. And to be quite honest, I'm a little bummed that they're getting rid of the Grimoire for Destiny 2. I know a lot of people aren't, but for me as the lore junkie I am, that just kind of bugs me a little bit. Justin, I wanted to ask you real quick. In your time playing the beta, what are, is your opinion as far as navigating through all that inventory and how easy is it for you to, to actually get the key components for you to go ahead and, and actually complete those strikes and raids? How important is that to you when it comes to what Destiny 2 is going to be facing? When I played the beta, it kind of felt the same, but 
a little different. I, once I opened the inventory, I was like, okay, I know what I'm doing since I played Destiny 1. I know that some things that I saw with the loadouts and stuff, like weapons, I, I saw that you can change elemental mods, and I was like really interested on that. And I was really scared that they were going to just be able to just change whatever elemental mod you could and just like use the most OP weapon or the meta weapon at the time and just change like, oh, to arc burn if the strike or nightfall is arc burn at the time and just adapt, I guess you could say. But like, hopefully, I, then I also saw the Luke Smith Q&A and he confirmed that like, it's like a one-time thing pretty much. And then you're going to have to collect multiple weapons. Other than that, like there was uh, the lockout loadouts that I heard about. I heard that I heard about that very briefly about how when you go into the activity your loadout is locked and your, or your subclass is locked and stuff like that and you cannot change it. And so I was really interested on that because in Destiny One there was always times where you would like change your subclass or like for instance bring out that icebreaker for long shot distances just to grind down the health of something. Honestly, for one thing that I'm really looking forward to in Destiny 2 with the inventory is the cosmetics. I've been super into cosmetics and being able to just customize your guardian and being able to stand out from any other player. So that is like the most important thing to me in any game is just like, what can you do differently than other people? So guys, it's been great talking to each and every one of you. But before we go and we and we go ahead and you know get on out, I got to hear from each and every one of you if you got something to plug or if you just want to say final thoughts on the game itself. Tristan, I'll start with you because I know you want, you've got a YouTube stream that you really want to go ahead and let everybody know what's all about. And also gamer tags. If you, great, a great suggestion, Elijah. Gamer tags are out there that people can go ahead and friend you on as far as from an Xbox, PS4, or whatever standpoint. I'll just go ahead and throw my YouTube out there. I mean, I don't have a lot of videos, but I'm planning on posting some new content pretty soon my youtube is the same as my gamer tag so they're one in the same it's i space b-e space marengo m-a-r-e-n-g-o that's my gamer tag for xbox live and my youtube name if you want to search it up oh, awesome awesome indeed sam you wanted to also go ahead and let everybody know how they can get a hold of you as far as all the great stuff that you're doing in the video game world yeah, sure. Like like Tristan, I've been working a bit lately, so I haven't made very many videos. But my YouTube, my Twitch, and my Twitter are all the same. It's the Foxy Viking. No capitals and no spaces. Well, that's that's actually a very cool one indeed. <laughs> Thank um, you. Um, I know also as well, Vince. You've got one as well. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, you can you can follow me on Twitch at radar underscore stunna. It's S T U N N A two N's. And then also on Twitter, it's the same thing. And that's also my gamer tag. Awesome, indeed. And anything for Alex and Justin as well? Yeah, uh, I got my gamer tag. It's Gummy Bears 22. It's a G U M M I E space Bears 22, all caps. And then I have my Insta, which is just my first and last name. And then, which is, yeah, that's it. And my uh, gamer tag is uh, Epic Toaster 44, all caps. And then that's all. Uh, no worries. It just makes my Yes Elvis Lives gamer tag really inadequate these days. <laughs> and last but not least, since I've got everyone down, I cannot go without saying uh, thank you, for Elijah, for setting this all up. But I already plugged your SoundCloud, man. And if you haven't listened to Plasma Z on SoundCloud, you're missing out on something. I'm telling you right now. Or at least listen to us every Friday night on the multiverse. But 
Elijah, you know, that you've got some great stuff as far as gaming is concerned and how best can they watch exactly or get to know you as far as the, the gaming side of Plasma Z. So my Twitch and my gamer tag are both the same. You guys can find me on Xbox as Kurarega. Capital K, lowercase U-R, zero, and then A-I-G-A. Sorry about that. I know you guys are all excited about what's coming up with Destiny 2. And, and from the bottom of my heart, I'm hoping that you guys will all experience something special when it comes to Destiny 2 and that you guys will be able to go out together as part of the In Time We Come clan and, and basically go ahead and, and kick some more butt when you're out there doing those strikes and whatnot. So we truly appreciate you guys all joining us. This has been a great interview as far as from, for everybody out there that wants to know more about Destiny 2, especially from you guys that really are the hardcore backbone of Destiny 2 and what Destiny is all about. So we truly appreciate you guys joining us and all of you being a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. If for some reason you cannot get our broadcast on the Podcast Radio Network or the PCC Multiverse, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on Friday, that's no problem. There are always alternative ways to get those shows. But for the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse, you can always get our show on a bevy of downloading and streaming options. And if you get a chance, you can check that out because... It's also available on iTunes, a.k.a. Apple Podcasts. Tune in the Ace Podcast Network, Overcast.fm, Player.fm, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Podcast.com, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, the Gunna Geek Network, Cast Crunch, Social Podcasts, and PopCultureCosmos.wordpress.com. And if you do decide to go ahead and download and stream those options, we try very hard to put an extra little bit of something in there for you, like an interview, podcast, what have you, just for listening. Well, Josh, before we head on out, any last thoughts on what's going on or also as well, what's going on with Humanica Media? Yeah, just check out Inside Sports. Uh, keep paying attention to the Facebook page and we'll have some good stuff. Uh, Super BS, Topicocalypse. Check us out on YouTube. That kind of helps me out a little bit more. Podcast.com, iTunes, ratings, reviews, all that good stuff. And Attack the Humanican will be downloadable soon. I, I will have more news on that for you here shortly. But, yeah, thanks thanks a lot, guys. And keep following Pop Culture Cosmos. We're always happy to. And don't forget, we have a website. You go on our website, you can read some cool stuff. Absolutely. Keep following us on the popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Season 7 has concluded with the Game of Thrones. A lot went on this year. So I ask you, Josh, what were your thoughts on Season 7 as a whole, and do you recommend it to people, especially those Game of Thrones fans out there? Oh, yeah, for sure. We learned a lot of stuff that we were already kind of guessing at, and the stuff that was like a huge deal, I can see it. Because there's an episode where they had um, 
Sam and Gilly were in the library, and she had brought up something about Rhaegar Targaryen getting a uh, an annulment to his marriage, and that was that's that was like a huge thing, and they kind of snuffed it out because they I now you know why they wanted to bring it up in the season finale. So that was uh, th- that was interesting, but it's just it's nice now because we had to sit through five six seasons of people sitting there just complaining and backstabbing and doing all. I mean, granted, you know, Cersei still does that, but. It's just nice to finally like. <laughs> Someone always has to. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's an HBO show, but I didn't like all the whining that led up to this moment. Like, I'm glad I sat there and got all the backstory, but it was just, it was so much. Like, it was like watching a brutal version of something on the CW, like at at some time. So, uh, it's nice to finally be at a point where these characters are all coming together. All this, uh, you know, all the hardship and tragedy we sat through over the past six seasons finally uh led to something fortunately there's not a a lot that you know as far as that goes that can happen in season eight because it's only like i think six episodes but you know it's it's coming down to something really intense now people are learning that the night king and his army are a real threat he's got a dragon you know don't get me started on the the physics behind a dragon with holes in its wings flying around but it's all coming down to this big moment. We're going to have some good battles. We're going to have some uh, more conspiracy theories, obviously, but it's all going to culminate in something. And I'm, you know, I'm predicting a Jon Snow, uh, Daenerys taking over Westeros. So ho- hopefully, I think what everybody really wants, though, like they thought that that death scene with Littlefinger was satisfying. I think it'll be even more satisfying when somebody just decapitates Cersei. Just the, the world will erupt in applause. It's definitely a show that has captivated the world audience right now, and everybody's asking, how is it going to end? We'll have to wait and see. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford, and it's another beautiful day in paradise here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening, and here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't do it. Do not do it. Do not do it. I'm, I'm stopping you before you even do it this time, Gerald. I can't help it. I got to do it. And we're oh. back with the show. This is the pop. Culture. Oh, no. I thought I had to stop this thing. How's <laughs> everybody out there? Whether it's the PCC Multiverse or Pop Culture Cosmos, we just truly appreciate you listening to the program. Once again, it's Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate it. And I'm here along with my good friend, the man, the myth, the legend behind Rob McCallum Films and also the project director for Tiny Rails on Tiny Titan Studios. Get Tiny Rails right now, available on early access on Steam for 9 dollars
It's Rob McCallum. How you doing, my friend? Good. Thanks for the plug on Tiny Rails. You can also check it out on mobile, too, which has some interesting stuff coming up in that it's a free-to-play game both on uh, Android and uh, Apple devices. So if you're an iOS fan or Google Play fan, load it up for free. Check it out. If you don't like uh, premium currency in-game purchases, check it out on Steam for 10 bucks now. It'll go up later. There you go. I mean, it is a great deal, and it is truly a fun game on whatever platform you play it on. I just truly recommend it highly to everyone out there, indeed. But I'm going to give Rob the floor. Rob, is, we're, we're just going to switch back to the old days when Rob was hosting all those great podcasts like GamerCast with J. Rob and Glenn and, and also The Trenches and all those other great shows. And we're just going to switch, do the switch around and have Rob you know, lead us into the segment because he wanted to do a news roundup with me. And I said, sure, let's go for it. I think that's a great idea. And we'll go ahead and, and delve into a lot of news items. So can, Rob, you, can you make that sound again of the cosmic table shifting? Wah, 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 wah. Well, we're in the cosmos. Well, you're going to have to turn it around again because that was the second time. So that put you back at the helm. So you got to do okay, one more. Wah, 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 back to you. All right. Okay, there we go. So we've got uh, Rob leading us in. So take it away, Rob. What have you got for us today? Well, I've been scouring the interweb for a while, and I thought it'd be good to kind of, like you said, do a little news roundup uh, across the board. Just take the headlines and extrapolate to some of the bigger questions that may be buried within the headlines, within even the bylines and, and deeper stories. The first one that uh, jumped out at me was Close Encounters of the Third Kind has recently undergone a 4K restoration, and it's back in theater for Labor Day weekend. Now, that's also going to be followed by a 4K disc and Blu-ray set which includes a theatrical version, the 1980s special edition, and the 1997 director's cut. Now, the director's cut actually doesn't have scenes that were included in the 1980s version, but were not in the theatrical version. So it's like this quasi-blend, and Spielberg, the director, obviously said, oh, those inside the mothership scenes were a mistake in 1980, so we're just going to take him out of 97. Blade Runner all over again, correct? It feels like... We're not quite sure when we want this film to finish. We'll just keep tinkering. So first question to you, sir. How important do you think these restorations are? And are they worthy of a theatrical release? Well, uh, first off, it is appearing in over 900 theaters this, hol uh, this Labor Day weekend. So it definitely is something that's very, very you know, important still as far as in the realm of pop culture. Uh, the Close Encounters of the Third Kind as a film, I think it it, it still resonates well with audiences. And I, I think a restoration of that picture, I think is definitely warranted because it does have a lot of great imagery, which I think is definitely needed a nice little beautification process to be able to be translated well across 4K televisions. Yeah, but there are a lot of great films throughout history that don't have 4K restoration, that didn't get a theatrical release. What makes Close Encounters of the Third Kind, in your opinion, worthy of not only one of those treatments, but both? Well, I think it's obviously, like I said, uh, from a storytelling standpoint and a sci-fi standpoint for for a lot of individuals that, that are truly invested in pop culture like I am. It's not one of my favorites, but I still have a healthy respect for it as far as... But that's as exactly what I mean, right? Like, it's not even probably, like, on that tier A of Spielberg movies. It's probably, like, that B-level, it's good, but it's not quite, you know... It's, yeah, it's up there, but it's the not... not list. It's not a Jurassic Park. It works for what it is, but it's it's a slow burn. 
it sure it is about aliens, which is kind of pop culture well, for related. For me, it's not even a mi mi minority report, so which is one of my favorite Steven Spielberg. Really, films. that is surprising to hear. So I just I think that it, it obviously has has played well into audiences, and like you said, this is yeah, it's going across nine hundred theaters this weekend. But like you said, the bigger the, the bigger thing is that it's been coming out on Blu-ray, and I think it's all meant to hype that up to because of the fact that it has been a movie that's been out of touch with audiences for a little bit, that's and they're just trying to do what they can to hype up. It's it's a glorified commercial for all intents and purposes. Yeah, and it's a it's the fortieth anniversary of the film. So, I mean, that's, that's the obvious tie-in to release it back into the theaters. 1977 is when it was released. And uh, 40 years later, here we are, 4K restoration. What do you make of these multiple versions of the same film with something like this? You mentioned and alluded to Blade Runner. Of course, Star Wars is the other kind of target. Well, it just becomes very confusing for those that are not diehard fans of the film. Like, for instance, with me, I am a very strong devout follower of the Blade Runner film. So I can tell and, and differentiate the different versions of the Blade Runner films. I have seen not many, not all of the different versions of the Blade Runner films, but I know that there are certain aspects of these different cuts that I like, and I've never seen one that totally makes me happy all the way around. So I can, uh, I, with Close Encounters, I know that's probably gonna be the same thing. Unless you're really a diehard fan, um, it's not going to really make much difference to you if you have not seen it before in theaters and if you've not but you've always wanted to or you wanted to know more about it i guess this is a great opportunity to check it out you know in a nice imagery on a on a wide screen and all that but if for the most part i don't think it's going to do great numbers because in the month of august nothing has really done great numbers over the box office so yeah far. traditionally traditionally august and january are the two months that films get dumped in order to see what happens and sometimes although that's changing because january is becoming a, a better month for for a lot of different movies yeah usually you get the the breakout horror films that start leaking through january and they kind of crop up there and every now and then you get the counter programming where something a little bit bigger marks and, and makes a dent in the box office uh where do you stand on other films that get uh, a second version out there like et another spielberg film where the guns and the cops hands were replaced by walkie talkies infamously well, E.T., I'm not a fan of. Uh, I can tell you that right now. And I'm sorry really? for anybody out there. Is, really? Uh, I, I'm what not surprises a fan. me is that you like Minority Report over E.T. I love Minority Report What do you love e. about Minority Report? We have to get to the bottom of this. Uh, first, with Minority first, Report. First, let me say, I'm a Philip K. Dick fan, so I, I get the source material. You know, and yes. I like the inspiration. But what do you really like about Minority Report? I just like as far as the atmosphere, as far as the, the the dystopian future, as far as you know the way the the, the precogs that that whole dynamic worked as far as uh, pre crime is concerned, and how it was corrupted and and basically you know uh, warped into the point where it its initial uh, initiative uh, failed uh, you know later in the series uh, later in the movie excuse me so I I really just enjoy that concept and plus also as well when when you know that was one of the best performances from Cruz himself and 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 as far as the whole cast including Max von Sydow uh, just basically just turned in just a great performance and Colin Farrell was was also a plus as far as his character is concerned I just just basically everything hit on all parameters ET ET goes off of cuteness for 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 a while and I think it you know it was nice for what it was back in the 80s, but 
it, it just <laughs> I don't think it resonates. There's a reason why it doesn't it just doesn't get played out very much over the course. You know, you don't see it on TV. You don't it's see because the rights yeah. cost a fortune for for that film. Yeah, so uh, but it just does not. I don't. It just does not play well. I think into a modern audience as as, as much as I think. Um, well, because you see, I disagree, and maybe that's the the filmmaker in me. Because ET is what put uh, you know Spielberg on the map, and then he did stuff like was it 1941? That was a huge bomb. Yeah, in the seventies, and then he did. Um, and then he did Raiders right after. Yeah. And, and I just saw that again the other day, and that still holds up very well. That see, that's an A-level film by Spielberg right there, hundred percent. Raiders Lost Ark, hundred percent. Well, we can agree to disagree. Where do you stand on Demolition Man for dystopian futures? Demolition Man, you didn't really pay attention too much to the dystopian future. I actually, if you're looking for anything on a dystopian future, Starship Troopers, I really kind of like that concept as far as with all the, you know, you take the rhetoric and obviously the bugs aside. And I love that, that concept that they had as far as the, the whole parameter with, with, uh, you know, being part of the Federation, but uh, going back to what you were talking about, eh, you know, I, I think Demolition Man, it was more about, Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes, uh, you know, making side cracks along with, you know, everybody else that was a part of it. And, you know, and, and Sandra Bullock also as well in it. So, you know, I don't know. It was, I like Demolition Man better than Minority Report. I'm just saying it on the record. Uh, I, I disagree. I think it's good, but I think it just exemplifies that type of uh, film where it's bam, bam, boom, boom. Uh, wisecrack, wisecrack, and that was that those late '80s, early '90s type films that seemed to resonate well with audiences in that time. Low on story, higher on action, and wisecracking. So, well, we'll end uh, on the positive note that we both like Starship Troopers. I know your answer to this next question. Would you like to know more? Of course you would. <laughs> Moving on to the next point, but I will say this. I will say this. Um, if people get a chance to see these older films, like uh, one of the uh, the great uh, things that is out there, and I'm not sure everybody knows about it, is Fathom Events. And if mm -hmm. you go to Fathom Events on Facebook, you get to see opportunities where they will not, they don't have restored, you know, prints or whatnot. They just show these these classic films from the past, including Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan is coming up here in a couple weeks. Um, <sighs> Yes, uh, and they're going to show that in theaters again. But they're showing all these classic films. I saw North by Northwest on the uh, on the big screen for the first time ever. Uh, you know, earlier this year with through Fathom Events. So if you check out Fathom Events, I think they do things right as far as playing in select theaters, select screens, selected movies over the course of the year. And it doesn't always have to be the the most popular, but really just one movies that hit from every generation every era even going up to the uh, 90s and 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 you know th those type of movies as well so nice 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 all right well moving on to the next uh topic i got here brandon thwaites has been cast as dick grayson and the new dc digital service uh from smallville uh digital service title from smallville flash supergirl and, sh and showrunner greg belanti and of course we're talking about titans I don't know if you're familiar with this concept in the show, what's going on, but we finally have Dick Grayson cast. And here's the synopsis of the show from Hollywood Reporter. If you're not familiar, Titans is a live action drama series that follows a group of young, soon to be superheroes recruited from every corner of the DC universe. The story revolves around Dick Grayson, who emerges from the shadows to become the leader of the fearless 
band of new heroes, including Starfire, Raven, and more. Uh, Jeff Johns, who's the head of DC, who's penned a lot of books for them, uh, and is now kind of in charge, says, Dick Grayson was one of the most important and iconic heroes in the DC universe, and it isn't easy to find him, but we have. Brenton has the emotional depth, heart, danger, and physical presence of Batman's former protege and the Titans' future leader. We're extremely lucky he's chosen to bring his talents to this project and this character. So, first of all, what are your thoughts on Titans as a series? Well, if it stays away from the CW, because I think it's going to go on TNT, is that correct? I believe that's what I heard as well. That is a step in the right direction because well, the it's, C- it's I think it's TNT, but there's a direct. That's uh, the DC. That, it's a tie-in too. Yeah, but still, I see TNT seems to take a lot better care of, of of its series. CW has a tendency; it just mashes everything together with the DC and whatnot, and it's convoluted things. To it's hard. I mean, I talked to Josh about it on our show on a, a number of occasions where he is tried to keep up with that whole dc conglomeration on the cw and it's very hard to keep up because it's, it's gone just, too far it's gone yeah. too far so that's why i'm saying that's why i'm saying it's a breath of fresh air that it's going on to another network and even if it associates itself with you know the flash and, and arrow and all that that's fine i have no problem with it but it's if it stays on tnt you and i both have seen the care and 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 the backing tnt gives its its programs, uh, you know, from Animal Kingdom, The Last Ship, uh, you know, so many others that they've had on there, they at least give it a chance to be out in the forefront instead of just another DC show on the CW network. Yeah, I could juggle uh, CW when it was Arrow by season two or three, and then Flash came in. It was just the two. And even there, there was two crossover episodes. And then Supergirl kind of got in the mix, even though it was still the CBS originally for season one. And then Legends of Tomorrow started, which was all tied in, and now there's four shows going on. Well, Supergirl, I can't, I can't blame too much because you know, obviously, what happened with CBS, you know, and they still thought a property that that had an audience. Okay, you, you got to do what you can there, but Legends but, of Tomorrow, but still, and, like, there's four shows that are now like intermixing, and it's, it's, it's the problem that comic books, the actual books themselves, had where you had to read issues 55 through 58 of Amazing Spider-Man. Then you had to go read Spectacular Spider-Man 14 through 20. And then you had to go back to Peter Parker is Spider-Man, you know, issues 32 through 31 to get the whole storyline. Way too much jumping around. And Secret Empire, which just concluded, which Josh and I talked about on a previous episode uh, last week, we talked about that closing out and that having too many issues going on at the same time, too convoluted, um, there were several storylines that were unnecessary, uh, you know, uh, least among the that is obviously Captain America going bad, but there were other storylines and other directions the story took that in, in, in different editions that were really unnecessary. And I think that, it, like, like you said, it becomes really convoluted to a point where it's hard for fans to follow. That's why I like it on TNT, because the fact that it it separates it almost it distances itself from its brethren on the CW but can still have an intermix of those characters every now and then but we don't feel like we are obligated to watch the CW in order to do so here's the chief question i got to ask you my friend are you ready for it i'll do my best how many almost batman shows do we need to to get and can any really work 
You know, you know what I'm talking a, about here. That's a great question. It starts with Gotham and goes all... all well, Birds yeah. of Prey, too. Yeah, exactly. Which tried to launch in the second season of Smallville. Yeah, and, and it, it's so much more. These are all Batman-ish shows that say, oh, Batman is kind of tethered to this, and that's why you should care, but never seeing Batman. I think it brings it down... I think it brings it down as a whole, and it makes it harder for Batman, a true Batman series or a Batman film to work because... All this this attention is paid to the Batman mythos, if, if for lack of a better term. Uh, and I just think that it allows people people get burnt on it. And we talk about superhero fatigue so so much on our episodes, and we talk that that just helps make it even more possible because you're just adding all this environment. And people say, "Oh yeah, it's great to tell these stories about Gotham and the whole entire Batman universe and whatnot." That's fine if you had one show telling it but when you have two three four uh you know you have movies devoted to it as well that are telling things outside of the direct batman realm it just people don't want to know that much about the whole batman user universe after a while and people will stop watching and people will stop wanting to care about the batman himself as a whole well, I know Warner Brothers, from a creative standpoint, is always keeping Batman away from the small screen TV because they want to constantly put him on the silver screen as a draw. So that's why that line will almost always be there. But what I believe uh, TNT and DC should have done is not make this a Titans, a Teen Titans kind of uh, drama. They should have just kept it about Dick Grayson as Nightwing. That's what they should have done. Have Nightwing's story and Bloodhaven, where he basically tries to take up the the helm and protect that city with his past coming back to haunt him. And you know what? Don't have Batman in there, but have appearances by Bruce Wayne. You know, so you just kind of a character by itself could have been very effective. Yeah, and there's a lot of great stuff happening with Nightwing, where he's actually you know been enlisted by the government as a as a secret agent, and there's some really cool kind of James Bond spy stuff with him. He's just—he's a great character on on his own. We've seen from Marvel, who is obsessed with team-based movies, whether it's X-Men or Avengers or Guardians of the Galaxy or Fantastic Four or Defenders or the Inhumans. All the Marvel franchises are based in groups, and often, more often than not, having more people with powers isn't a good thing. You can focus on singular characters that have enough going on and showcase them and what they're dealing with. I'm beginning to agree with you because Defenders on Netflix was uh, not exactly up to par. I thought that was a very disappointing way to have them come together. Josh, I think, pretty much agreed with that assessment as well. And the Inhumans, I know it's coming out as far as the theaters uh, this weekend, as far as in selected IMAX and whatnot, and, and obviously later this month to ABC. But I don't think that is going over as well with the uh, the fan base as well. I know Josh and I had also talked about as far as the the lack of, of quality special effects and, and Medusa's hair and all that. So Inhumans itself is not getting off to a great start as well. And I think you're right as, as far as in your assessment of always having to have these groups. I mean, how did this, this resurrection of... Uh, superheroes in this century start. It started with Batman and it continued with Iron Man, which are singular focused on a a, a superhero and a villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think everybody's wondering how DC can write the ship. Don't worry about trying to do everything in the DC universe just because that's what Marvel did. If you want to focus on Batman, there's enough there because you can still do your Joker stuff. And we'll come back to that later in the news roundup. 
and you can still do your Batman stuff. You can still do your Dick Grayson stuff. You can still do your Batgirl stuff. You can still do your Huntress stuff. There's a lot going on with any of these characters kind of purviews in that one city that may or may not connect them all. That's all I'm saying about that. You know what I mean? You with me on that one? Are you with me? Can you feel it? I can feel you, man. I feel your brother. I feel your brother. There you okay. go. Here I we feel go. you. Don't reach out and touch me across the cosmic table. Okay, there, there you go. But it's still a point where, uh, you know, where you have the Warner Brothers feeling like they have to tell all these different stories. They they get a group together and they feel that by doing so, they acclimate the 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 general audience to all these individuals, so that now you can branch them all off uh, into all those many seemingly hundreds of different stories that DC wants to tell. Yeah, I agree. 100% agree. The only bright spot I will say for Marvel stuff that they've done right so far is, is Legion, the, TG, the TV series, exact produced by Brian Singer. I believe it's on That's FX. off the beaten path because yeah. people don't always recognize it as a Marvel-based television show. I mean, people can watch that and not realize it's part of the X-Men group, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. It, it does make sense. I mean, I look at uh, other characters and stuff out there that are, that are the same way, like Constantine, right? That's, that doesn't necessarily read as, as a Marvel property or something like Red, which was obviously based on a comic book as well as a graphic novel. So I think Constantine's DC. Yeah, Constantine's DC. But what I'm saying is you can watch it without realizing it's connected to superheroes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, although Josh and I went back and forth about our, you know, like the film, I kind, I kind of liked the film. I thought, thought to me, I was, was talking more the watch. series. The series itself, I thought was was okay, um, but I just don't think NBC gave it the proper love that it needed. Wasn't it coming back on CW, like every DC show? Uh, I I, I thought believe it was, it was. Consider, but I don't think it ultimately uh, does. You know what? I, I think to... I think I think it will be part again Constantine will be part of guess what your favorite thing a dark universe yeah well I remember hearing something about that as well and uh, it was announced in 2017 that he voiced so okay so there's an animated web series that's coming on the CW that's where it's coming back with the cast that was on the NBC show that's there you go (laughs) all back to the CW whether it's on cable or on the web uh, a little bit of Star Wars news here. Force well, they just, just on that. They just they might as well just forget the name CW and just name it DC. DCW. There you go. Uh, it, we're recording on Force Friday too right now. Of course, uh, Force Friday. Tons of Star Wars stuff that's going on right now. One piece that that caught my eye was this new over seventy five hundred piece Lego Millennium Falcon set, which is available November first. When it's built, it is 33 inches long, 22 inches wide, 8 inches tall, and it comes with Han, Chewie, Leia, and 3PO. And it retails for a cheap $7.99. $800. Believe me, it caught the eye of my daughter as well. Let's just say that. I bet it did. And how many Christmases does she get to... uh, to, to have those pieces doled out to her. It'll be it'll be doled out over the course of ten Christmases. So I, I can bet. pretty much eighty dollars per shot. There you go. Now this is definitely a cool piece, right? Like you've seen it. It's awesome. I've seen the hundred fifty dollar piece and I thought that was awesome. But I've this... been to several stores across the country, Lego stores and that yeah. And just imagining that's I've seen the pictures already and it looks really, really I mean we're talking three feet wide and, and two feet long here practically. 
Exactly. Just the type of thing that just the type of thing that can end a marriage. As far as... Well, this is the kind of thing you need to acquire before anybody gets married. That's all I'll say. Anybody's engaged, <laughs> you get this now. Or if you're thinking about popping the question, you buy it before you do. So there that once once you know he or she says yes, we we've taken inventory. You must accept everything going forward. Plus, you do what you can to try and make sure it's sealed so it won't be broken. <laughs> or you put it together. And it's like, well, you know, the work's already done. Don't don't take that away from me. Um, this is definitely cool, but here's the problem, Gerald. Here's the bigger problem. This is where we read between the headlines a little bit, all right? Star Wars, way back in the 70s, introduced the whole collect them all philosophy. You know, collect all eight, collect all 20, collect all 50. And at one point in the 70s, that was really possible to do because I think they topped out at something that was pretty manageable even by 1970s dollars a kid or an or or you know a zestful fan could get them all even when you looked on the back of the kenner products you see one of whatever and it seemed attainable and you saw the series of exactly you know you it's easily just you could easily see the sets and yeah. what you needed to collect on one that it was and very what you attainable. Were missing and and how much you wanted those other figures and you'd circle the back of those boxes those cardboard you know boxes on the figures and in the 90s, when the Power of the Force line rolled out, just ahead of the, uh, the prequel trilogy, it became a little bit improbable because so much figures came out and it was hard to attain everything. And of course, you know, there's 20 years of figures in between at, at that point as well. But still possible, still, uh, you know, within, within a, a number for collectors out there that it wasn't discouraging them. You get the original set, you got the new Power of the Force line. But now... With online retailers, Gerald, store exclusives like Target, Walmart, and you know Toys R Us, theme park special events that have figures, I think it's officially impossible to collect them all. Is this good or bad? Well, first off, it's not theoretically impossible because I've I've known collectors over years that, that it's work impossible and to collect work every and single Star Wars. With also con exclusive or not, it is not theoretically impossible, but it's, you need a heck of a lot of money for it. No, it's not even money. It's time and a, a bunch of luck. And you know what? Some of this stuff is gone and destroyed because of how long it's been. There's finite numbers on some of these pieces. Well, I'm, I'm just trying to give you that theoretically it's not. Yeah, entirely. I know. And if I was doing a documentary on collecting this, I got to tell you, the stakes would not look good. Your budget would be astronomical. Yeah, well, I would be doing the filming at least, which might be affordable. But the but, point is, the big question, for a series that coined the phrase collect them all and made it tangibly possible to do it, in the era that we live in, they've gone back on what they're asking you to do, I think, because it's almost impossible to collect all Star Wars things. Yeah, but you got to remember, there's other people in place now, and there's other entities in place, and starting with, you know, the big D, Disney. Uh, the big who, D! I mean, that you know, Kathleen Kennedy is now in charge of it, but this goes back before that with George Lucas, like you said, in the prequels, that, that started those type of of decisions that were made were made back in the 90s and started evolving into more pieces and the more pieces pieces exclusive pieces you know harder to get pieces uh you know at, at, from there i mean those decisions were made a long time ago and obviously george lucas has never been one to shy away from commercializing his products you know that's his his prerogative it's his creation by all means, obviously, it, it worked out in the end for him because he, he, you know, Disney cut him a nice paycheck and all that. But unfortunately, 
those uh, people have forgotten about that. A lot of individuals, uh, you know, and most importantly, the individuals involved in running the Star Wars franchise have forgotten that that motto and turned their back on it. And uh, do, do I think it's right? No, I don't think it's right. But it is the reality that is 2017 and the modern era where commercialism, capitalism will reign supreme overall. There's something souring about being a fan and yet I'm held back by enjoying as much fandom as I want because no matter how much my heart wants to be surrounded by this stuff, I'll never be able to do it. That's why you have to I be did. very selective. You have and to be reverse very selective. fandom. No, I get the idea of sub-collecting. Believe me, I get it. You know, there's a guy who loves Jim Henson, a guy who loves DuckTales and movie posters and He-Man and, and, all, the, uh, and all the wonderful things. I, I get the idea of breaking it down to maybe only collecting the best Luke Skywalker figures or the best Han Solo stuff or just sticking to the original 70s line or just this era. I get sub-collecting. And I think that's like a, a, a temporary band-aid on, on the bigger problem because even then, even if you're just going to collect all the cool Luke Skywalker stuff, you're in trouble. It, it is. It's just, it just comes to a point where there's just, like you said, there is too much stuff. I'm out. That's out there. Okay. I, I said it is a finite number of somebody actually be able to collect all this stuff, but it is almost virtually impossible to collect all this. And, and it, it almost takes the fun out of collecting because you don't know what to collect. But then again, if you're just doing it because you like a certain segment of the star Wars franchise or any franchise for that matter, it, it, I guess it's it's okay because you know you can find your own center of the, of the universe where you think it is valuable and it's valuable to you. As long as you take great pleasure in that, then by all means. I mean, you see me with Battlefront right there behind me, staring staring at us right there off the wall. I'm going to be getting Battlefront too. That's what I collect. is It's really good Star Wars games. Now, have I collected all of them at one point in time? No, I have not. Uh, but there's been several choices that I've made, either by either whether it's creatively or budgetary reasons that I've had to make choices on. So I, I understand anybody out there that, that doesn't like the fact that we now live in a world where there's an almost a seemingly infinite number of Star Wars artifacts that are available that nobody can realistically get a hold of. But then again, like I said, it is just the nature of the beast that is now 2017 and the modern era of, of, of pop culture. I'm going to ask you an impossible question to answer because that's my specialty or speciality, depending on where you're from. How much is too much when you're looking at collecting something? If you were to give me, if you were to come up with a number that represents pieces in a collection for anything, whether it's a movie-inspired action figure line or trading cards or whatever, what number is big enough to make the collection process fun but not too daunting that it doesn't feel overwhelming, irregardless of price? I would probably say 50. 50 or 100 would probably 50. be... 50, 50 it seems to be like a good number that you have, you know, as far as a collection is concerned, that you can feel it's a full collection, wow. yet it's somewhat attainable. Well, I guess I'm wrong in that assessment. No, then. no, not at all. I just think that's it is so vastly different from the number I was going to suggest. Well, then what, what pray tell, did you have in mind, kind sir? I was going to say 1,000. 
Really? A thousand pieces total of whatever X is produced. Now, if we're going to say like action figures, that would include all the action figures, all the vehicles, the play sets, the repaints. A thousand figures feels like that is like as far as I want to go. Now, if we're talking something comfortable, 500. Okay, well, then there you go. That that would be... And that's beyond, but to me that that feels like it's beyond a set. That, to me, it it kind of lessens the value when you go that high of number. Well, I just think of this wonderful film that I know something about called Nintendo Quest, where a friend of mine had to collect. <laughs> oh, it's like always oh, dragging that movie in. <laughs> <laughs> and I just put that in perspective. In thirty days, okay, no internet purchases. How many can you get per day if you're looking? So that's a kind of that's why I kind of think like 500 is kind of good. A thousand is about the limit, and you know the Nintendo Quest kind of falls kind of right in the middle between those two numbers. Well, as someone who did review your movie and reviewed it quite favorably, and is still available on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, and you can get the movie you, on robmcallumfilms.com. Well, you know, you put in your movie, I put in my movie review. But anyways, I will say that for your movie that number was effective because it was very difficult to attain either where it was done or not. I'm not going to say, because if you haven't seen it, shame on you, you should see it. But I will say it was a, a difficult number to attain, but it was a number that could be attainable within yeah, the parameters that you set. Maybe. Some people disagree. You know, we heard that from the outset. We'll see. I don't know. Go watch it if you haven't seen Nintendo Quest. Again, romicallenfilms.com or Google Nintendo Quest. You'll find links to check it out on Amazon. If you have Amazon Prime, you can check it out. It's also on Crackle. Uh, lots of options out there. Uh, what Again, even in Nintendo Quest, we did sub-collecting with the top 20, right? So we could focus on those 20 meaningful titles. So we both went, I think, on that one. All right. A couple more well, pieces I will say this. I will say this. I won't say whether he did it or not because there's a good chance either way that happened, but would it have helped can we can can we say about jay's reluctance to fly what do you mean can we say about it can we talk about it because i can edit this part out but can we talk no if, we can talk about anything you don't have to edit anything okay so if jay had had the ability to because he he was really reluctant to fly um, yes jay does uh, not fly had he uh, had access to plane tickets, that would have made his trick. Would that have been legal? Would that have been part of the okay parameters? Yeah. I mean, there was no restrictions on how to travel. Uh, I, I think flying wouldn't necessarily made it easier because it would have came out of his budget too, right? Well, and time and stuff like that. And the idea with, the, with in being in the car is that you can hit stores on the way and you can basically make a big string of them. But then he could have flown with a collective effort and maybe some careful planning could have also hit up maybe a better string of, of metropolitan stores that well, might have been this, able to give him a large cachet. This is the fun part about thinking about Nintendo Quest. How you would have done it is different than how I would have done it is different than how whoever's listening would have, would have tackled the 30-day challenge of trying to get every single Nintendo game without any online purchases. But it did make his... his, his trek a little bit more difficult to me because i thought a lot of time was lost in the road but <laughs> did it impede with his ultimate goal and the fact that whether he completed the quest or not i don't know because he he uh, actually at several different points during the film he did extremely well with with the uh with his collecting so he uh he was looking uh, really good for time and, and in fact uh 
did quite well, I will say, overall, uh, you know, as far as in the movie. And that that's kudos to him and also you as far as following that movie along. So I'm going to give you like the 5,000th kudo that I've given you over the film. You know what? I have a closet right next to me over here, and they'll all fit in there nice and neatly, organized and on display. Bring the kudos along. More Fair Star enough. Wars news here. Uh, what someone <laughs> lovingly said will end society is nice knowing you is Star Wars Jedi Challenge, which is a project by Lenovo and Disney for an AR augmented reality headset game that uses your cell phone. Have you seen this, Gerald? As you frantically Google search it? <laughs> uh, I actually only saw a bit of it the other day because I did post a story on it. So yes, uh, I did see it briefly, but I wanted to make sure I, you know, as far as when you're talking about the AR augmented reality, you want to make sure you get it right and don't call it, you know, first of all, don't phrase it in a virtual reality mode because those are two opposite ends of the spectrum Correct. when it comes to a different type of reality. But when it comes to augmented reality, you're, you're basically creating uh, something, an image that that's, uh, you know, basically uh, one of the great things to Vita. Vita created, uh, you know, at originally one of the quirks uh, of the Vita that was really kind of cool was creating those AR images right off of, you know, household objects and whatnot that would pop out. I know um, at one yeah. time M Microsoft actually invested in that type of technology and was looking forward to trying to create a full AR experience as well. So. I, I understand that's the future, uh, as you and I both have seen with VR. That was so the rage of last year. Um, it's still around, but it didn't really quite hit. I think on all numbers that that I think a lot of people in the industry wanted to see. I know PlayStation VR has done kind of good, but not really. You know, you know. <laughs> as you grimace yet rejoice. Well, uh, okay, that you, I, you know, what What does a million sets VR. mean? You know, because they've, they've sold roughly a million sets. That's basically the numbers that they've translated. Well, how many so, PS4s have they sold? In that time, they've sold 65. So, you know, it's relatively speaking, it's it's kind of hard. And, and PSVR is the big the biggest selling of them all. So, yeah, I, I yeah, think it's it, that ratio that you really have to concern yourself with. One to 65. So it just tells you right there that an AR experience, it's it's cool, but I don't think the general audience really just wants to get too invested into it unless there's really something that they can really latch on to. This could be the trick as far as attaching a Star Wars experience to an AR experience, and that could gain a lot of interest. Well, let's, let's take one step back. Again, augmented reality is essentially an overlay over our world. The best example yes. and most readily available known example to that is Pokemon Go. You use your camera's phone and you point it around and you discover Pokemon that you try to catch that are sitting on your sofa or out in the road or in a park. So you're augmenting our existing reality, AR. Now, Star Wars Jedi Challenge gives you a headset to put on, so you're not just looking through your, your camera's phone, but you will see a projection of Darth Vader or Kylo Ren coming at you and you also have a actually incredibly detailed lightsaber controller that you use in your hands. But it will you be have, within the surrounding room that you're in, and you will see pretty much everything with contained within. Yeah, you you basically see like a holographic version of these foes coming at you wielding lightsabers, and you duel them with your lightsaber controller too. So from the videos I've seen, it looks pretty cool. I didn't realize the price point was two hundred dollars. Might be a bit steep, but you know, given the Star Wars license. Maybe they can justify that. 
But then that's the problem. That's the reason why virtual reality has had such issues. Uh, when the best version of it to most audiences is $399, and I know it discussed recently just got a price reduction as well. But still, you know, the the best versions of it overall are the HTC Vive and and uh, the Oculus Rift, which you know for a time were were several hundred dollars more expensive. It uh, it's just the people have not the general public has at large has not latched onto it, and seeing how that's going to be at a similar similarly price point a similar price point as far as you know you're paying for a, a technology that's newer, so you're going to have to pay more for it. It is really going to cater to a a niche audience until there is that breakout between a, a, an affordable price and an attractive license to work with. I do think other than Pokemon Go, Star Wars is like one of the key brands to try AR with to see success. So I think time will tell and maybe this will be a kind of cool Christmas gift that some people get, especially as The Last Jedi. If it drops to $100, then, then you're talking about something. I think you might even have some winners at 175 or 150 though. I don't know that 199 is the final. I mean, we'll see what happens on Black Friday too, of course, right? And you can that's, tune in that. to the Pop Culture Cosmos Black Friday edition, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, that's true. I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. You know me on Black Friday. That's that's one of my favorite. You are holidays. a you're a pirate when it comes to Black Friday. Like that that is your holiday. You do more research and get more kind of stocked up than anybody. I don't even go to the other sites anymore when it comes to wondering what's going on. I just tune in to whatever you're doing, Gerald. I just look at the pop culture cosmos, and then I do the follow-up on the multiverse. So I get the Monday and the Friday fix because I want to be in the know about where to go and what's hot for Black Friday and Cyber Monday for that matter. Indeed, and I will be trying to reach out to those sites just to get additional thoughts on uh, you know, as those ads come up, it's just really just kind of fun for me to see what pops up as far as for Black Friday is concerned. And, and even though, you know, like you said, when it comes to, you know, you only have so much money to spread around, you can't buy everything that's out there. It's just cool to let everybody know what good things that are out there, because for for a lot of people out there, they have to make very budget conscious decisions. And when prices drop on those console bundles, those television sets, and and all those other consumer electronics, you know, that's very attractive indeed. And also a lot of other great products as well. And this should be a good year for us to compare and contrast since I'm north of the border this time. And Black Friday is a little bit of a different thing up here because first of all, we don't have Thanksgiving in November. We have it on Columbus Day for all our American listeners, which is usually the second Monday in October. So we don't really have that Thursday off to do the big family thing. Black Friday just kind of hit so we can compare and contrast and share some notes about what's going on And if there's anything on sale from what I understand it is getting bigger up here Black Friday wasn't a thing on my radar when I left Canada It apparently has grown since I've been living in the US and now I'm back But one of the things that I did previously in the past few years was I ran a Halloween stores here in, in the Las Vegas area and over the course of time, I met with people that came from all over the world, Australia, England, what have you, and Japan, what have you. And it was interesting to hear them talk about Halloween becoming a little bit more prominent each and every year in their country. And it was interesting to hear that. And I'm hearing the same thing about Black Friday, that something that we have held dear for a while, now seeing seemingly wanting to branch out into other areas of the world and becoming 
more important to those areas as well. So it's very interesting to to see how that develops. And I'm, I'm eager to see how Canada continues to embrace something that, well, I guess is, is one of our better known and better beloved, uh, uh, you know, I don't say holidays, but it's an event. One of our, yeah, event, probably the best way to say it. That's it's, best, a, ca it's a calendar event for sure. And nobody does events quite like America. This is this is all too true, my friend. <laughs> all right, the last piece of news on our on our weekly news roundup that I wanted to get to is Scorsese is possibly in as a producer on a standalone Joker film, with the possible option Warner Brothers is so desperately hoping to lure and court Mr. Leonardo DiCaprio to play the Joker himself in a standalone origin film. I don't even know where to start with the questions about all this from, you know, Scorsese wanting to come into the studio system. It's not a done deal yet to using him as bait to get DiCaprio to play. Where is, you know, Jared Leto and all this. And these are films that are, that exist outside the DC extended universe, but are like alter variations of it. We heard about a different Batman film with Matt Reeves from, you know, the planet of the apes saga and let the right one in fame that isn't attached to Batman versus Superman, but it is a Batman movie. So like, again, we wonder what is going on with the DC universe thoughts though on Scorsese coming in, lending his chops as a wild spender, usually, you know, spending like 80, 90 million on these drama pieces, let alone the 300 that it takes the average superhero film. And then like the Caprio is the Joker. What are you thinking there? Well, I, I think, <laughs> I don't know. That's it. Well, I know Josh and I talked at length about this in regards to the DC mess. Uh, you know, I will say this coming out of Comic-Con, there seemed to be like a little bright light as far as the direction and focus that DC had as far as, wow, these, these are really starting to be, you know, a, a good lineup of, of, of future possible movies that are on the, on the way. And then you hear week after week, a new one here. A new one here, a new one here, a new one here. This one right here is going back. This one right here is is, is off the beaten path. So it, it's very it's very convoluted at this point. And I think half these pictures that they're now talking about are never going to see the light of day. Um, if this standalone Joker, you know, piece with Martin Scorsese possibly being a, a producer on it is I don't know iffy at best. I know that they talked about at the same time they talked about a, a Harley Quinn Joker romance film that's now been moved ahead of the Gotham these the Gotham City Sirens. Um, so you know it's just all over the place. Uh, you know Black Adam and Shazam. You know which one's coming first? You know I believe Shazam is now being filmed. But Black Adam's been pushed pushed back because The Rock is only going to you know it's it's I don't know it's just it's a whole mess that dc has now created it's becoming very convoluted you you know and i think they need to stay on the dceu personally and having this side movie is not in their best interest even if it stars leonardo dicaprio at this point in time i, I just because he's not as hot of a name as he once was uh, with all due respect to you know as far as sorry but he's kind of taken the Will the Will Smith route, like thought it did a bunch of big films that were like, yeah, he's really becoming a brand, and you know we're seeing one or two pictures every couple of years. 
starting to go away a little bit, whether that's priorities or whether because he's doing a lot of producing himself or whether he's, you know, switching his, you know, life path, if you will. But uh, he seems to have disappeared a little bit here and there. Yeah, and exactly. And this, to me, with Martin Scorsese in as a producer, I don't know how much influence he would have as far as the actual end result is concerned. And having it having it away from the DCEU when the DCEU itself needs as much love and care as possible to stay on a good path, especially after the good vibes Wonder Woman ha has given it, is just not the right move in my, in my, you know, humble, you know, and low ranked and, and lowly assertion. Couldn't agree more. That'll do it for another news roundup where the theme is always, what shocking turn is DC going to unveil? Because it's another week and that happens. So thanks for listening to the News Roundup, guys. We will be back with the Pop Culture Cosmos right after this. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. Truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast. And thanks to my good friend, Rob, for hosting that segment on the news. I'm hoping we can do that more often because it was really fun. You trying to just, I had no preparation what he was going to talk about. So it was really good that I, he was just hitting me up on the fly with these. And, and I appreciate his insight as well. Obviously, from his perspective, it, it's definitely it's some very insightful, insightful comments indeed. And I appreciate his time in doing so. But we're right now talking some great movies and, and I want to hear your thoughts, Rob, uh, Rob McCallum of Tiny Titan Studios, Rob McCallum Films, and, and a whole bunch of other projects coming out. Rob, it's always a great pleasure having you on the show. And I'd like to make this like a, you know, a really a, a more regular thing. But that's like I said, with your schedule coming up, you've always got a, always got a place here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Well, good to know. And if I get back to uh, Las Vegas, maybe we can find a way to do that. Uh, in person, do a little bit of a news roundup, PCC in person. Sounds good, but we can always do the news roundup like we are already, you know, because, you know. I was trying are... to tease people with the possible return, even if it was, like, just for one night only. Oh, the, there you go. That that would be awesome indeed. We'll make sure that everybody gets a heads up on that if that happens. And I certainly hope it does, my friend, because well, it's always I'm... good to hear. It's always here to good for, for, for you to talk that smack on me uh, right, you know, when we're close up as far as it's concerned. It seems to, <laughs> to flow much better. <laughs> well, you know, I will be looking for a couch when I do come back to Vegas. So who knows? Who knows indeed. Okay, great. Well, thanks for having me. And until next time, my friend. Until next time. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Didn't do it. Or? No! Oh, I thought we got out. I thought we got out clean. We did not. We did not. No, we did not. Hey, welcome sports fans uh, to this Inside Sports production of NFL Football Talk. I'm your host, Charles E. Smith Jr., and we're cranking it up a notch this year. Uh, right now, we're going to do the conference preview, so the AFC and the NFC, because the NFL season is coming up. But just to let you know, I'm in a makeshift studio right now. We're going to uh, bigger and better things, and by the way, we're going to have a fantasy football segment coming up every week once the regular season starts. And then also, for you Hoops fans, we have uh, Gerald Glassford and uh, Anthony Barbarin are going to be bringing you 
uh, all the best from the NBA every week. So Inside Sports definitely taking it up a notch this year. You can find us, uh, uh, follow on Twitter at The Inside Sports. And uh, in just a moment here, I'm going to introduce my co-host for NFL Football Talk. Uh, many of you follow him on Twitter at Chris L Sports. And if not, you should be. He just uh, has some dynamite insights into all of sports, but especially the NFL. So here he is from an undisclosed location somewhere in sweltering hot <laughs> Southern California, Chris Lardieri, the pride of Rutgers University. How you doing out there, man? Charles, it's great to be back for another season. Thank you for yet another terrific introduction and sweltering. An understatement. <laughs> I think I'm sweating through every pore of my body the last few days, but TMI. All right. And, uh, you know, the... One uh, word, a couple words of advice here: microfiber underwear. That's all I have to say about that. We won't get, uh, we won't let the conversation digress or anything. Indeed, indeed. Okay, so you know you're going to be the one who's really hosting the uh, fantasy football segment for everybody. So you want to tease that a little bit for us out there? Absolutely, I'm looking forward to the new and expanded role. Thank you, by the way. Um, there are a lot of experts out there. I don't pretend to be one. However, I do play fantasy football, and what I hope to do on a week-to-week basis is give you my insights, whether it be from my team, what I see in the league, or what I watch. I'm not going to give you my mock draft, my proposed rankings, <laughs> etc. cetera. Uh, matter of fact, I've got my draft tomorrow. I play in a 14-team league with the big boys, and I have the number four pick. Uh, essentially, I'd say that the top one through five picks are probably all going to be some combination, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Julio mm-hmm. Jones, Antonio Brown, OBJ, and whatever order. Uh, what I will say is don't overthink it. You know, you need to build depth. <laughs> don't uh, don't go take your favorite quarterback. If you're a Cowboys fan, don't take Dak Prescott in the first round. You know, with Ezekiel Elliott being suspended, that's another issue to take in the, right. into account. If you do want to get him, make sure you get his backup, Darren McFadden. Um, things like that. And and also, too, I, I can't overemphasize this so much. Uh, it's so important. Do not take a kicker or a defense in the middle of the draft. You can wait. I guarantee you by the end of the year, you'll be flipping through guys on the waiver wire. So just a few pieces of advice. Build your depth. There's a lot of quarterback depth this year. You can wait until the middle rounds and pick up someone like a, a, a Derek Carr or even a Matthew Stafford. They're going to get you points. You, Aaron Rodgers is great, but if you don't get him, it's not the end of the world. So, uh Thank you for the inaugural football fantasy football <laughs> segment. Um, I have no website. I have to promote. I have no rankings to sell you. Good luck this year. <laughs> All right. We'll have to figure out some way to uh, really merchandise this thing, but uh, we'll talk off camera about that. So let's go ahead and get into the, uh, we're going to do the conference preview. So the AFC, where we have the reigning New England Patriots, and we'll see if anybody can possibly take them down. But let's go ahead and we're going to start in the south and we're going to end up in the east is the way that we're going to go because the south is a little intriguing, although, you know, (laughs) there's so many caveats there. So if we look at the quarterbacks, Marcus Mariota, he's going to be back from injury, so he'll be leading the Tennessee Titans. Of course, he's got uh, DeMarco Murray in the backfield with him there. And then uh, Tom Savage, I guess the job is his to lose there in Houston. Uh, with the Texans, and uh, Andrew Luck, he may play, he may not play. How many games? We don't know. And then Blake Bortles, who is anchoring, we'll call it that, anchoring the Jacksonville Jaguars, after narrowly edging out Chad Henney in the preseason. So that just kind of shows you the way things are there in Jacksonville. But Jacksonville does have good defense. It seems like if they could get a good signal caller, 
uh, they might be able to do something. But Chris, uh, what's your take on this division? We're talking AFC South here. You know, I, I think it is fairly wide open with the exception of, of Jacksonville. I really, uh, with Bortles at quarterback, you said he's anchoring. I think that's a sinking ship if he's anchoring <laughs> it. But uh, I do like you know, Tom Coughlin's kind of taking control of the reins there. Uh, Doug Marone back coaching in the NFL. They've got talent. Leonard Fournette looks like he could have a breakout year as a rookie. But uh, really, I, I feel bad as long as Bortles on that team, his own teammates aren't happy. I, I think ultimately it's going to come down to one of two teams. I really like Tennessee, the way they've developed Marcus Mariota in his third year. Everyone talks about Jameis Winston, star of hard knocks, but he quietly has improved year after year. Mm -hmm. He's got some more targets there with Decker and the drafting of Corey Davis. They got a nice one-two punch at running back. Um, yeah, the offensive line's really good. I, I think this is a team on the rise. The team that I think that'll really contend with them is the Texans. That defense is phenomenal. You've got Watt on one side, uh, back healthy. Um, you know, I, I really think that Tom Savage, as, as sick and crazy as this says, and I, forgive me in advance, is an upgrade over Brock Osweiler. Now, will he win him a Super Bowl? No. But I know DeAndre Hopkins, for one, is happy that he's back. And then you look at the Colts, and really, as they go, as Andrew Luck goes, and doesn't look good. He's even going to play the first week or two of the season. Uh, that team could potentially be a train wreck without him. So uh, I think it's going to be a dogfight between the, the Titans and the Texans in an interesting race. Yeah, I think so. And you talk about the Colts and we have uh, Andrew Luck, who is basically, you know, billed as Aaron Rodgers. He's pretty much Aaron Rodgers light because, you know, he's not at that level and also he can't stay healthy. And from what I understand, that shoulder injury has people talking about him possibly sitting out even more games. So, We'll see what happens because I guess he has the same type of a shoulder problem that uh, Cam Newton does, which we'll get to that when we do our NFC preview. But, uh, yeah, there could be tough times ahead there in Indianapolis. Um, I see this as really a two-horse race, the same as you do. I'm going to go with uh, – I like the way Tennessee is going, even though you know their defense is obviously not as strong as Houston, but I do like Tennessee. Uh, I like the, uh, you know, the development of Mariota and also with Murray in the backfield there. I think that should be enough. So I'm going to go with, if we have got to pick division winners, uh, I'm going Titans here. What do you think? I, I think it's appropriate. Given the, the barking in the background, you're going with the underdog. And you know what? Um, <laughs> we'll get to this later, but I'm going to agree with you. I think th this is a year the Titans make their move. Okay, there we go. So we both agree on the Titans. Now we'll go to the north where Big Ben, this could be his last stand for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Joe Flacco at the signal caller in Baltimore. He's coming off back surgery. Should be ready to go in week one. And then uh, also Andy Dalton, you know, the red rifle there in Cincinnati. We'll see what he's going to do. And uh, starting for the Cleveland Browns, Deshaun Kaiser, this will be the 27th starting quarterback they've had since the franchise was resurrected in 1999. Uh, how do you see this one? Um, another mess in Cleveland, I mean. I, <laughs> I really feel bad for the fans there, but I'm not going to waste yours or anyone else's time. Seller, dweller there. Uh, what's interesting is Baltimore's got a lot of injuries. If Flacco can get back healthy with the signing of Jeremy Macklin, um, and I do think their defense could be a potential sleeping giant in the NFL and really keep them in games. And then you've got the ever-underachieving Cincinnati Bengals. I know you have tremendous amounts of love for Andy Dalton. Uh, A.J. Green, I still, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. What I think is interesting is you've got at running back the drafting of the controversial Joe Mixon out of Oklahoma. Um, if he can keep his head on straight, I, I think right there is a – 
speaking even from fantasy football perspective, is a, is a player that could break out this year. But ultimately, I think this is a Steelers division to lose. Le'Veon Bell taking his extended sabbatical to sign his contract. I believe he reports on uh, Friday the 1st. Mm-hmm. He'll be well-rested. Uh, you've got Martavius Bryant back. Ben's got a lot of weapons. If this is his last hurrah, I think he's going to enjoy it. I still say this is a Steelers division to lose. Yeah, I think so. And then the other thing is, remember, they picked up uh, cornerback Joe Hayden, who was a basically he was a star there in Cleveland, but he's tailed off in the last few seasons. But I got to wonder with Hayden, if he's going to go to Pittsburgh and finally he has a chance to win because in Cleveland, he was wasting away there. The team was horrible. And here he is as their top corner. He's got to chase around the likes of Antonio Brown and, uh, and A.J. Green four times a year with really no chance of winning. So he probably got a little bit beaten down there in Cleveland, or should we say a lot beaten down. So I look for him to have a resurrection of his career, and uh, I think he'll anchor that Steelers defensive backfield. And really, uh, that should be enough to uh, give the Steelers the division here. And when we look at Cincinnati, Vontez Perfect who's a talented linebacker, but his problem is I think he'd rather take a cheap shot on anyone than win a game. So here he took a cheap shot in the preseason. He's suspended for three games, but just for an unnecessary hit on a defenseless player. So he's suspended for three games. That's definitely going to hurt them. And, hey, you know, we know the the, uh, whole thing in Cleveland. So I think this is Pittsburgh also. Yeah, definitely. And uh, until, honestly, you know, I don't want anyone to lose their jobs, but I think if, if there's another year of underachieving and missing the playoffs, we could see a change of command there in Cincinnati. Uh, Marvin Lewis really has been a Teflon coach for years. There we go. So we both agree with uh, we're going with Pittsburgh Steelers to take the AFC North. Let's go ahead and go to the AFC West. We've got some intrigue there. We've got the uh, San Diego Chargers anchored by Philip Rivers at quarterback yet again. You made the same mistake everyone in the media does, Charles. They're our team. They're the Los Angeles Chargers. How dare you? I, I listen. I do it all the time. I cannot get. I cannot get uh, get past that. No, and, you can. know, they don't belong here. Yeah, judging by the amount of fans who showed up at their preseason games, I don't think the fans are really getting it either. No. But uh, also, we got Derek Carr. He's going to be back, hopefully healthy, the whole year there in Oakland. Trevor Simeon is going to be the signal caller there in Denver. And also Denver picking up Jamal Charles at running back. And now Demarius Thomas is saying that he thinks that Trevor Simeon, if he limits mistakes, he can get them to the Super Bowl. We don't know if Mr. Lardieri thinks that or not. We'll find out in a moment. And then, of course, the venerable Alex Smith anchoring the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, So what do you think there, man? I think this will be one of the most competitive divisions in football. And I know uh, there are some out there who think the uh, the team with the same initials as the L.A. Clippers might might make a move. Uh, <laughs> I really don't. This team has just been beset by injuries. I think they'll be improved over last year. They're really a hard luck team. But at the end of the day, uh, losing your top pick, Mike Williams, losing uh, Forrest Lamp, one of the greatest names in football history on the offensive line. Those things are going to hurt. And and ultimately, we know what happens. Philip Rivers loves to uh, loves to throw the game away late in the game. And uh, honestly, I don't trust him. Uh, I think the Broncos will be improved. Simeon is an improvement. The problem with him is, can he stay on his feet and not get injured? I know they had some mm-hmm. issues last year. Paxton Lynch isn't gra- grasping the offense, so I don't, don't think anyone in Denver wants him as a starter. So I think this turns into a two-horse race between – Andy Reid, the uh, greatest coach until the calendar flips into a, a new year in January hits, <laughs> and the, the resurgent 
Oakland, soon to be Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk. I know there's a lot of optimism in Oakland with Marshawn Lynch, beast mode coming mm-hmm. home to play one final hurrah. Uh, a lot of people are criticizing their defense and their line up the middle, but uh, I think they're the team to beat. With a healthy Derek Carr, I think they go deep into the playoffs last year. Camille, Khalil Mack had an off year. You know that's not going to happen again. Um, Michael Crabtree had a great year, but you know Amari Cooper is poised to bounce back. And I just think top to bottom, they have more talent. And uh, well, I do like the Chiefs. I think Ty- Tyreek Hill will emerge now that he's a wide receiver and not just a kick returner. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, would you rather have Derek Carr or, or Alex Smith? So I'm going with the Raiders here. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. Uh, the Raiders are looking strong. And one note on San Diego with them moving to L.A. And I, I think what happened is when, when we look at the whole fan base thing, a lot of L.A. is a very polarizing city and community. And I think there were a lot of fans who are fans of the Chargers who are not fans of the city of L.A. And a lot of people that you talk to who are Chargers fans they would tell you, I don't root for any L.A. teams. Now the Chargers moved to L.A., so they're left with a dilemma. So it's kind of like that, uh, you know, having that, that girlfriend that you love to see when she comes into town, and then all of a sudden she moves actually right down the block from you and ain't so good anymore. So I think that's kind of what happened there with the Chargers. But uh, I agree with you with the Raiders. I do think Denver could give them a really good run for their money. If Trevor Simeon with Jamal Charles in the backfield there and with the defense as strong as it is, if Trevor Simeon can do a good Brad Johnson impression here, I think he can get them to win this division. But those games between those two teams are going to be fantastic. Um, I, you know, I'm going with, uh, I think I wrote down my pick here. I'm going with Oakland also. But don't be surprised if Denver sneaks in the back door. Yeah, the only problem is when you merge Good and Brad Johnson together, does that mean slightly below average? I'm, I'm not sure. We'll have to check on that. And then one one thing, too, to keep in mind, the uh, with, with Wade Phillips on a defensive coordinator in, in L.A. with the Rams, I'm wondering if uh, he's going to be missed. I know Vance Joseph's a defensive-minded coach, but that's something to keep your eye on to see how that D adjusts without Phillips. Definitely. So uh, we're both going with Oakland there. So let's see if we get any action in the AFC, AFC East, excuse me. With Jay Cutler coming to quarterback the Dolphins, we'll see if that makes any type of a difference there. Of course, Tom Brady, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time, is still there with the Patriots, 40 years old and going strong, coming off a miraculous Super Bowl win. And uh, then we've got who is who is quarterbacking the Jets, by the way, uh, this year. Oh. It's the great uh, Josh McCown. <laughs> How could you forget? Yeah, Josh McCown. Tyrod Taylor now, who is the starter in Buffalo, I guess uh, barely edging out uh, Nathan Peterman. Um, we'll see. But, you know, they traded away Sammy Watkins, his best wide receiver. He's now in Los Angeles. Then they signed Anquan Bolden. Bolden was there for one day and then retired. So it seems like same old Buffalo Bills. But I'd say this division, we won't even debate whether or not New England's going to win this division. Even though Julian Edelman is down with that ACL injury, I don't think that's going to be enough to knock him from that top spot. But, hey, and not just because it's my favorite team, but you kind of got to look at the most intriguing thing about the division is the Dolphins with Tannehill gone for the year, picking up Jay Cutler, who came out of that brief retirement, and what he can do for the Dolphins. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think ultimately the Patriots win this division. The good news is that the your Dolphins have locked up second place in, in what is otherwise <laughs> atrocious division. Um, I, you know, ironically, with and I know I know how you feel about Tannehill. I mean, as sick as it sounds, I think Cutler might be a slight improvement, or at the very least, a wash. And 
plays offense is definitely going to help. I don't think there'll be much of a, a learning curve there. He's got weapons. He's got a good defense. So I think you could be looking at potential wild card run. But uh, even without Edelman, I do think you know the, the trade for Brandon Cooks is really going to help. If Gronk is really healthy, uh, like he says he is, you know, you, you, he's essentially a wide receiver at times right. the way Brady targets him. So I do think they'll miss Edelman. I don't think it'll come into account until January and potentially February. I mean, you look at that phenomenal catch he made in the Super Bowl. You can't tell me they're not going to miss his hands in the playoffs. Exactly. We, 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 they did everything they did last year without Gronk. You know, he was <laughs> – Gronk's not healthy. They still find ways to win. So, hey, much props to the Patriots. I think they take this division again for uh, – uh, what every year since that year that Tom Brady was injured and Matt Castle started, I guess, but uh, they're definitely going to win this division. So let's go ahead and also remember Jay Ajayi in the backfield. I think that's going to go a long way to determine how the how the Dolphins do. But we both picked the Patriots, so now we've previewed the divisions. Uh, AFC, one of two teams will go to the Super Bowl, and which team would you have as a dark horse? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the Patriots. I know it's playing the chalk. Uh, whether they yeah. get to the Super Bowl or not, I don't know. But uh, you know, I know the conventional money says they do. I think the Raiders make a run. I think the Raiders could uh, give them a game. And I do think with the way things shake out, long as Carr's leg is fine and that arm's uh, chugging along, I think they can make a, at least a run to the AFC Championship game. My dark horse. I mean, I, I picked them to win the division. The Titans uh, don't fall asleep on them. I really think that. They're not going to be a one and done. I mean, they, they could even make some noise going into the playoffs. Uh, normally, I'd pick the Steelers, but I've got to be honest with you. Uh, watching what Mike Tomlin does year after year, I think they're a great team. I think they got a ton of talent. When push comes to shove, the guy gets out coached. So not on my list due to coaching. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I got to go with – I'm going with the, uh, the Patriots to get back or – the Steelers, I think it will be. And like I said, I think that uh, Joe Hayden's going to make a huge difference in that defensive secondary. And then, you know, my dark horse, if you will, is going to be the Raiders. If it's not one, if it's not the Steelers or the Patriots to get there, I think the Raiders go ahead and break through this year despite any weaknesses they may have. Short yardage situations, they've got beast mode now. So if you're on the goal line, all they got to do is give it to him. They won't have to risk throwing a slant pass across the middle and getting it intercepted or anything because he's still a great short yardage back. We don't know how much he's got in the tank for the whole game, but he's taking that secondary role and with him being able to just go in when they really need him, the Raiders are going to be a force. Definitely. And, you know, if he gets tired, they could fill him up with candy on the sideline and recharge his battery. <laughs> The Rainbow Candy, whose name I cannot mention because they did not pay us a royalty to mention the name on the air. Correct. Okay, there you go. So that's uh, NFL football talk for you. Remember, Charles E. Smith, Jr. You can follow me on Twitter at The Inside Sports. Uh, follow Mr. Lardieri on Twitter at Chris L. Sports. And we're going to go ahead and preview the NFC as well. But, Chris, before we sign off, uh, any final comments for everybody? Sure. Uh, hitting on a theme we touched on earlier, um, Got two NFL teams in LA, and no one seems to care. Uh, the Rams were hideous last year. I know there's room for optimism, trading for Watkins, having Sean McVay, the youngest coach in the NFL. It can only get better. I mean, as you saw in Hard Knocks and uh, the Amazon series, uh, all or nothing. Jeff Fisher really uh, had little or no charisma. The fact that he kept his job this long was uh, amazing to me. And then you got the Chargers, who can't even sell out a 27, 28,000 seat soccer stadium. And, uh, you know, really, I got to be honest with you, talking with people, 
there's not much interest in the Chargers. There's still some in the Rams. You've got the legacy, the diehards. I went down to training camp, my son and my father-in-law this year. They're still Rams fans. You know, they're, they're keeping the faith. It's more a function of a losing team. But I really think this Charger move is nothing more about money, which it usually is. But essentially, the Spanoses are trading up because they're moving to a, a, a zip code with a, a higher – average home price per se, and that's going to do nothing but add value to that team. So whether they're just looking to make more money down the road or potentially sell the team, that's all this was about. And they don't care about their fans, as we know, but the LA market, like you said, is very unique. And uh, I just, I don't see how they're going to catch on being the proverbial jets to the giants in that new stadium the Rams are building in Inglewood. Yep, there you go. Okay, everybody, remember uh, every week through the season, then uh, when we get to the regular season, we will have uh, the latest in the NFL news. We'll also have the pick seven. We'll pick the five most intriguing games, and then we'll have our fantasy football segment. That'll be coming up. So for Chris Lardieri, I'm Charles E. Smith, Jr. Thank you for watching NFL Football Talk. We'll see you next time. Brank here from Super BS, talking about the things you know you love and the things you'd love to know. Join us weekly for a podcast about video games. Mostly. Oh, yeah. And we're back. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today because we're going to do some NBA right now. It's probably one of the best times of the year of the NBA season. I know it's there's no actual basketball being played. Uh, and the the obviously everybody still has that buzz from the Warriors winning the finals. And who better to talk about what's going on in the NBA world but the man, the myth, the legend, our NBA expert himself. Anthony Barberin, how are you today? I'm good, man. It's always a pleasure to come on, man. I, I love talking sports. I love talking NBA. Um, and I always have a good time when I'm on. Your thoughts on the NBA draft, a couple teams which you thought really went one out, and, and a couple that maybe kind of missed a mark this NBA draft season. One and two fell pretty much how you thought they were going to fall. We have Danny Ainge, who has accumulated – He's got a um, he's got a ton of assets right now. I don't know what you know. He's got to do something with them at some point in time, correct? He he moved back from one to three, and I know some people question that because there's this Lonzo Ball hype, and you know there's this feeling that he's this can't miss player, which I'm not sold on. I actually like what they did. Um, so you so you're not he, as high as on Mark Markel Fultz, are you? I think it depends on what you have. Now, now Marco, Markel Fultz is a scorer at the point guard position. So for me, it kind of doesn't make sense unless you're going to go, we're going to go with this youth movement. To me, the smart thing to do is to move back or to just draft another player at a different position. They, you know, they drafted Jason Tatum, who is honestly, for me, my favorite player in the draft. I don't know if he'll be the best player in the draft. I wouldn't be surprised if he is. Um, because the, the only thing when I watch him play that I, I see that he lacks, elite explosiveness. Everything else in his game, to me, is NBA all-star. He has that level of potential in his game. Uh, Markel Fultz, who Philadelphia got, I think fits them well because you have a Ben Simmons who you believe is going to be the all-around player that you need to distribute and run the team. 
you know, with Markel Fultz, he might fit better, like you were saying, uh, on Philadelphia with uh, hopefully a, a healthy team, correct? Right. If they can be healthy with him, I think they're still hearing the fact that they might be healthy. If they are all healthy, still being a year away from making the playoffs, but you're building something with young uh, with a young nucleus of star players, uh, similar to what the Timberwolves did, who I think had the best draft of anybody simply by acquiring Jimmy Butler. Um, I think they'll be a playoff team, barring injuries for sure. Um, I agree with you on that. I they they, they were the big winners indeed. Yeah, I think defensively they're they're going to be amazing defensively um, with Andrew Wiggins and Jimmy Butler. Even with with uh, Rubio defensively getting a steal, if he has long arms, I think they had the the best draft per se. Even though you know that's not the big that they drafted a player, it's it's the move that they made to make their team better. Um, to me, I like what even though they have had the worst, or you know, right there with <laughs> with New York and and the Lakers, one of the worst front offices. Like I, I like what the Kings did in the draft. I like them getting De'Aaron Fox, um, who is a a souped-up version of Darren Collins, if, if for lack of a better term. You know, he's he's fast, he's quick, he pushes the pace, he can score. But he's um, two. He's two of the best things in the NBA: younger and cheaper. Correct. Exactly. And you put him with Buddy Hill, who um, had Buddy Hill played his whole season with uh, the Kings, the way he played, probably would have been rookie of the year. He was that yeah, good. Yeah, I agree. Uh, once he once he got out of uh, – got away from the Pelicans. So uh, with that, and then they went and got Josh Jackson. I believe that's who they drafted, Josh Jackson. And – no, I'm sorry, not Josh Jackson. It was uh, – I can't remember. The, the North Carolina guard. Uh, oh, Justin Jackson. Guard here. Justin Jackson. Justin Jackson. Yes. And I think they'll play him at the three. He has that kind of size where he can play small forward. And so you're beginning to build a young nucleus of talent. You have a point guard, you have a shooting guard, you have a small forward. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein as your center. Papianis, you know, as a backup if you like him. And then I believe they drafted Harry Giles out of, uh, out of Duke, who had it not been for the injuries that he sustained the last few years, would have been a top five pick. And they got him later in the draft in the first round. So I think what they did, drafting this year was very, very smart. Now, I don't have the faith in their front office to come to fruition, but I think they're on the right track. The Lakers. Yes, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you more. There were some great picks because I was looking at and I was analyzing over the past few days. In fact, I was just touching up on it now. I'm like, man, you took all of my good picks as far as it's concerned. That's definitely a Sacramento with uh, if, if the Harry Giles experiment works and, and, he, you know, he can actually get back into shape to where he was when he was the number one heralded recruit coming out of high school. Uh, he can that that you know that draft for Sacramento Kings could just be far superior than any anyone you know has uh, at all um, because of of him. And they it worked for Sky uh, La uh I'll get his name right. When he becomes a big, as he becomes a bigger star, I'll try to get his name more correct <laughs> in the future. Uh, but uh, you know that that worked for Sacramento last year, and he's going to be a very strong player indeed. And 
And if Harry Giles can grow similar to that, definitely that Sacramento Kings, who's been a laughing stock of the media and the entire league for the past few years, uh, definitely will come around indeed quicker rather than, uh, you know, later or whatnot. So, and then I think the, you, you, uh, two of the losers, I guess, to me, obviously the Bulls for trading Jimmy Butler uh, and getting, I think, uh, a nominal return. Um, Zach Levine coming off an ACL injury. If he'd have been healthy, I would have thought stronger about it, but uh, that was kind of iffy. Uh, Laurie Markkinen is a, uh, I guess, he's not a strong rebounder. He's not a strong defender, but yes, he can shoot the three. So, but if he's not good enough defensively to stay on the floor, what does that do for you? Uh, and then uh, also um, Chris Dunn, who everybody was praising would be the steal of the draft at number five, uh, turned out to be not the steal of the draft so far at this point. But let's hope he can get his career back on track with a new team. Um, Indiana drafted two of the UCLA players not named a ball. Um, and, and I don't know if they really got themselves at their positions, uh, um, okay. Uh, you know, that they were chosen, uh, TJ leaf, um, again, there's a situation where he, he's got a nice jumper and whatnot, but is he good enough defensively to stay on the floor? He was, uh, really substandard at UCLA. So in that realm, so we'll have to wait and see. And then, uh, the other individual from UCLA, the, uh, Ike, uh, Anik Bogu, uh, he's got, I guess it was uncovered in his medical, some some chronic knee problems, which could debilitate his career. And yeah, he was he was okay to get maybe in the late 40s or whatnot, but if he doesn't stay healthy and on the floor, it really won't look at, work out for the Indiana Pacers long-term. And plus, he didn't make a trade for Paul George uh, as of yet. So that, and each day that goes by, the potential you know things that they can get back of quality for paul george is going to get less and less indeed right. so i have to say indiana uh, kind of was a was a big loser on the deal as well especially seeing how minnesota was able to trade jimmy butler with for some uh you know kind of questionable assets at this point in time so those are some great points, indeed. I, I had a couple other winners, indeed, I had picked out, but you you took them, you you got them, and you were like right on the number with that. So uh, that's why you you are the NBA expert around here. We love and appreciate having you on each and every time, and, and it's going to be hot and heavy once NBA free agency comes around. So we're definitely looking forward to that, so we can start seeing the players from the future. Uh, and seeing where they might go and might develop as as players. So definitely looking forward to that indeed as well. Anthony, it's, as always, it's truly a pleasure to having you on the program. And, uh, you know, like I said, we've got to get you back on the program a little bit more going forward with, with Inside Sports and, and then Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. We just want to make sure that we get your thoughts on the NBA scene as much as possible, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Indeed. Want to thank you for being part of the broadcast. That is Anthony Barberin, our NBA expert. He is here and he will, he can answer your questions out there. So if you have any questions on the NBA scene that both you know, he and I can talk about on the show, uh, send us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also, you can shoot us a DM, direct message, 
at Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, Game Source, and Inside Sports on Facebook. You can send us a direct message and we'll be able to, to talk about it on an upcoming episode indeed. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. That's, uh, to us people that can feel things, it, it, uh, it hurts.